0: Welcome to StarCast, I'm Joe Stark, and tonight is a comic talk episode, and I'm talking with Rod Clairbout and Rebecca Daling, and we are going to be talking Nemesis, an Image Comics book that is created by Mark Millar and Steve McNiven. What is up, people?
1: (laughs) Yo.
2: How's it going? Oh, it's actually... Do do it,
1: dude. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, You said Image, it's
0: actually Icon. Oh, did I say the image? Publisher. I was fucking reading oh, my notes. I can't read worth was... a shit. I'll tell you that.
2: You are, you are Correction Tuesday immediately, Joe. Good. Immediately
0: Correction <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> I think I'm just so used to saying image. But yeah, dude, it's an icon. It's an icon comics book, which is an imprint of Marvel Comics, of all things, which is, um, as we get into this, you'll see that this is like one of the craziest, bloodiest, most violent fucking books ever. <laughs> so, yeah,
1: fucked up shit
0: yeah yeah kind of crazy that it'd be a marvel imprint that would be this fucking loony but i mean with a mark millar property fuck why not yeah for sure (laughs) so have you guys read any other mark millar books
1: um i've read uh was it reborn was that millar yeah the millar capullo Capullo, right yeah, I read uh, Reborn and that was it from Millar before.
0: Uh have you read Chrononauts?
1: Oh, was that was that him?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a Mark Millar book too.
1: Oh, is it Millar and Murphy? Yeah. I okay. So. Okay. Then I, yeah, I read Chronouts as well. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to think.
0: And um I think they did Old Man Logan also, didn't they? The same du- uh duo?
1: Yeah, cuz it's in the back of um each of the issues like uh ads for it, but I've I don't think I've read that old man Logan. I feel like I've read a few issues of the newer one.
0: Oh,
2: yeah, that original one's great. Have you ever read that one, Rebecca? I have. Uh, that's uh the only other Mark Millar book I've read is uh his his Old Man Logan book. It's great. Yeah, uh, the... It's incredible. I mean, it's really really incredible. Oh, is yeah.
1: his is his Old Man Logan more what the the movie was based off of?
0: Well, his was like the original one, and it basically took place in this crazy, distant, like very dystopian future where... Okay, spoilers for Nemesis, obviously, in this episode, but some brief spoilers for Old Man Logan, unless you don't want me to spoil it for you, Rod. <laughs> but, I mean, no, it's, uh, go it's ahead, fairly I've read
1: straightforward. I read a couple of the newer ones, so I wonder if it maybe has a similar start.
0: Okay, so basically Logan got tricked into killing all the X-Men. And so the superheroes were, or the supervillains were able to take over as a result. And they split the country up into like these different fiefdoms with like Red Skull and, and there's a handful of others that occupy different territories and the Hulk and his family basically occupy California. And like, he's gone, kind of gone evil and he's got like all these inbred children that are basically like Hulk hillbillies and they're kind of like Wolverine's landlords where he's living with a family now and he crosses them and shit goes bad. And then Wolverine teams up with like a very old man Hawkeye who's like blind and they go on like like a a road trip. Yeah. So it's similar to the movie, but yeah, the, the, the book is amazing.
1: And the newer, the newer one, I can't remember who did the second old man Logan that I read, but uh, it, it starts out the same way where basically like the Hulk people kill his family. And he like time travels, and to go back like when all these people were younger, and kills them before they became villains.
0: Oh shit!
1: <laughs> yeah. So like he 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 meets like a he meets the I think the Amadeus Cho Hulk. He meets Hawkeye's sister. Um. Who else? There's someone else. I want to say not not Captain America, but uh, I can't remember. There was one other person that he met.
0: I hope he goes back in time and kills the totally awesome Hulk and stops him from being such a bitter disappointment. (laughs) 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 Well, like I enjoyed him at first, but then he just got so whiny. Where it's like, dude, you're the fucking Hulk. Hulk smash, not Hulk make peace. Come on,
2: (laughs) Hulk introspective now. You know, yeah, we don't we don't really want that. We want. We just want smash. We just want some smash. That's it.
0: Exactly. I mean come on. I don't ask for much on my Hulk books. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Mark Millar, um I mean this is crazy. This is a fucking crazy book. I need to I, I definitely want to read more of his stuff. He's got the Jupiter's books that I want to read. Um I haven't read any of Kickass. Um and uh the other one that, that I didn't realize he did was wanted until I got to the end of the book and saw that there was an ad for that in there. And so I mean that movie was decent, so I I kinda wanna read the book and see how different it is, kinda contrast and compare.
2: You know, I, I just realized too, I have read um another one of his books. He also did Civil War, um, which oh, yeah. I which I read oh, yeah, as well. Right. I totally forgot about that, duh. Uh did you guys read the Civil War comic?
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh,
2: my God.
1: Yeah, so so good. good. Yeah. so good. I was, yeah. I was worried after much. I read it. I was worried, like, after I read it, because it was right before Civil War, the movie came out, uh-huh. and, like, I, like, wasn't really following the movies as closely, so like, I didn't know, like, how accurate they were with the comics, so I thought, like, that this movie was going to have to be just like the comic, and I couldn't figure out how I was going to do it.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird, because, like, in the comics, what's, I mean, obviously, you know, Marvel, can use whoever they want in the comic. So, like, you know, Spider-Man has a big role in Civil War. Uh, but, of course, you know, they couldn't use Spider-Man that much in Homecoming. Excuse me, Homecoming. In in, in Civil War, that was the first time that he even showed up in a MCU movie. Um, and also, like, Fantastic Four has a big part in the Civil War comic. They can't show up in the movie, unfortunately. So, yeah, I I thought it was a pretty good adaptation, though. I thought they were cl- they were pretty clever with um, mixing it up a little bit and and still staying true to the core idea of what Civil War was about.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I just pulled those off my bookshelf real quick, and yeah, it is the same creative team for Old Man Logan and Civil War nice. with Mark Millar and Steve McNiven so
2: yeah really you know. really good stuff you know and and having read now today for the first time Nemesis um i'm just like man why haven't i read more mark millar like i need to get my hands on everything he's right? written and just <laughs> yeah like i i was not aware how I, I i didn't realize how much i enjoyed his work but i'm seeing now like a lot of themes that are carried through the the stories and so yeah, I think I'm going to just have to become like a Mark Millar groupie and pick <laughs> up all his stuff.
0: <laughs> Definitely add Chrononauts to your list. It it just I, wraps I, up I, in one trade and it is okay. it's like a perfect story.
2: Yeah, you you have talked about it before of how much you were enjoying it, and every time I see micronauts, I think that's what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you tweeted <laughs> you that at like me, didn't Twitter? you? Oh my god, like a freaking idiot! Like I'm like, oh, aren't you reading this? And you're like, uh, no, I'm not reading micronauts. <laughs> I'm reading crow, oh, reading Cronanauts, Rebecca. Yeah, I'm gonna get that straight from now on. I promise. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's one
2: a- foot in Guys, I'm really old, so <laughs> a little bit of
3: dementia
1: here and there. Yeah, chronos is really good. Yeah, it's like per, it's like one of the perfect time travel type stories.
0: Oh, absolutely. And the the artist on is Sean Murphy, which you know if you've been reading Batman White Knight, which yep. he's been doing mm-hmm. recently, or oh, um, yeah. let's see, he also did all the art for Tokyo Ghost with uh, Rick Remender. So I mean, chrononauts is fantastic but yeah dude nemesis this was um this first came on my radar rod you picked this up at grand rapids comic-con right
1: yep yeah i had heard about it actually like way back um i think on a league of geeks episode that steven or um yes uh steven and sean both recommended reading this so i always like put it on my wish list and uh amazon and then i Remember, and I saw it when we were going through one of the booths at the Comic Con. I was like, "Shit, ten bucks, I'll take it." And then read it, and I was like, "Joe, you got to read this." <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what's funny is that, so I I started reading the digital, and I got maybe three or four pages into it, like I, I saw what happens to our unfortunate <laughs> chief of police <laughs> at the beginning of this book, and I just stopped, and I immediately pulled out my phone. And got on Amazon and ordered the trade. I was like, I want to read this and trade. This is something that's <laughs> going to be very proudly displayed on my bookshelf just based off these first few pages. And as a whole, this story did not disappoint. Mm-hmm. Like, what a roller coaster ride of a story. I mean, this thing goes about a million miles an hour.
1: Yeah, it moves so quick. Like, and so that's what I'm saying. It's a four issue comic, but it has so much that happens in it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, Rebecca. What were your first impressions of it? So like reading those I, uh, first few pages.
2: Yeah, so the first few pages, and, and Rod had told me like it's it's pretty violent. I was like, all right, you know, I don't I don't mind you know some I I don't mind the violence um t- terribly much um. My my first impression was like this this guy strikes me as almost like. Um, like oh like a spawn type character or phantom or something like that the way he's dressed and um i mean he's obviously like this really terrible guy um the 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 first few pages of how like the chief gets killed (laughs) is so like like i'm 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 sitting in my bedroom reading it and i'm just like whoa what happened oh my god yeah it's um it's it's so funny because I started reading it and I'm thinking, okay, did I miss like a prequel book or something that they introduced this character or this is it and it this is it like they just introduced this guy page one, his name is Nemesis and go and um I mean what a what a unique way to introduce a character zero backstory but just here we go.
0: Oh, it's a hell of a cold open. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't feel like if it if it ever turned into a movie, you would see like the actual pop-up for the intro of the movie until after that train crashes off in um from the train tracks.
2: Oh that, yeah. Nemesis.
0: Yeah. That would <laughs> be perfect. A
2: good, that's <laughs> a good call, Rod. I could see that too. I could see a cold open with the same dialogue and then the chief of police getting smashed by the train and then uh then we get like the title card you know nemesis i i absolutely i think that would be perfect
0: yeah <laughs> um some fun facts with this uh i read online that when this was advertised it first came out with a teaser image that contained a caption that said what if batman was the joker
2: huh
0: yeah and <laughs> i mean <laughs> i drew those parallels. Huh? yeah and i drew those parallels when i first read it That, you know, it's just this intensely rich guy that has all these resources and he's super smart, but he's not going to do the right thing. He wants to rack up the highest body count as possible and he wants to focus it around like a police detective that he that the public really looks upon in a good manner. And he wants to humiliate them and show the public that, no, this guy's got skeletons in his closet and he's an utter failure. I'm going to kill a bunch of people in this city and ultimately I'm going to kill this guy on a date that he, like, before the police, before this police chief even knows what's going on, he just gets a card in the mail that says the date of his death. Like, how fucked up is that? Yeah. yeah,
1: And exact time, too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Also, it comes with a very cryptic line of the date and the time, and it says something like, flatline also counts. And it's like, Okay, so like flatline if we're thinking like a medical term means your heart stopped, but it doesn't mean that you can't come back, you know, blah blah blah. Um it's it's a really again, it's another great cold introduction to our other main character in in this story and it's it's brilliant. It's a brilliant way to introduce these two characters.
0: <laughs> Do you guys think that the whole you know joker if if he had batman's resources do you think after reading this that that stands up or have have you both read the batman who laughs that's going on in metal right now yeah i i haven't no okay have you read any of the books that have him in it that have uh
2: the batman who laughs I'm a little bit behind, so probably
0: not. Okay, so so basically in Dark Knight's Metal right now, there's all these evil versions of Batman, and one of them right. is Batman that's crossed with the Joker. And so that was my first introduction to a character who is basically Joker with Batman's resources, right? And it's creepy like the Joker is. Like Nemesis isn't creepy. He's smart and calculating like Batman is, but he doesn't have that insane edge like the Joker does, so I didn't really feel like those comparisons for this book were really all that accurate it's more like like this is just batman if he were absolutely evil
2: (laughs) yeah i was just about to say that this is like evil batman not necessarily if the joker had batman's resources and to be frank i mean nemesis leaves riddles so you could almost say like what if the riddler you know had batman's resources kind of a thing but i i really feel like this is more just evil batman if if batman was just a bad guy with limitless money then you get nemesis
0: yeah i mean in his his costume even looks like batman's just take away the ears take away any of the symbols on it and take all the black and just make it stark white and you got the nemesis outfit <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, I kind of I kind of felt like it was basically putting Joker's mind into Batman's body. So yeah. like you're still going to get the same mannerisms that you've always gotten from Batman, but you're going to have that insane, insanely smart, like very vigilant type. or are not vigilant, but just evil mind. Yeah, and then totally you got so, so Batman's bad. resources. Yeah, this is exactly what I would have thought about. Yeah, and it is kind of inter- interesting how very comparable the suits are and stuff to batman just more of a kind of like a basic look not as distinguished i guess i don't know
0: yeah i mean and you know there's obviously the big difference that this guy's using guns and stuff like that also yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but, i mean as you read the book you know i mean he's just as lethal <laughs> as batman could be you know i mean just as just as dangerous with only his hands and well one of the things that really fucked me up with this book is that I I like I was really rooting for Nemesis the whole time but like if you take a step back and realize what you're rooting for it's like this is terrible. So Mark Millar <laughs> like really kind of did a good job of of making you kind of want to see this guy succeed even though his plan is absolutely heinous.
2: Mhm. Yeah, it's interesting because it, he does make you believe that this is a straight up revenge story, um that it's a plain and simple this guy's life was ruined as a kid by this other guy, and ever since then he's bent on revenge and and you kind of go with that and it you kind of believe that for a good part of the story um. And then, of course, there's a great twist, which well, I guess we'll get to later on. But there, uh, it it is a great way to kind of almost have you on his side.
0: Yeah, totally.
2: <laughs> like, what did yeah. you think of that, Rod? Did that kind of
0: fuck with you a little bit?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was pretty. uh it was, like, yeah, like you were saying, I was kind of cheering for him the whole way because I wanted to see like how his plan turned out and everything. And he did. Def- they definitely wrote it in a way that would you could make it feel like the person that he was doing it to must have done something in their past to really deserve this. So you kind of felt like they're getting what got coming to him and stuff. And just just some of the shit that he does, like when he takes over the fucking airplane and the Air Force One and crashes it down like in Con Air and shit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I had a question about the whole Air Force One thing. So... When I was reading it, and it almost seems like, and I guess, I guess I'll guess i probably answer my own question here, it seems almost like the guy has superpowers, because he drops onto the plane with no visible parachute. He's walking on top of the plane, and then he's, like, on the front of the plane, and he's shooting into the, like they don't ever really explain how he did that. He just does it. Um— I mean, obviously, he he doesn't have superpowers, right? Like, I'm not. See, I don't crazy know I, or, I, I
0: or totally, he superpowers? <laughs> I'm totally picking up on what you mean there, Rebecca, because there are a lot of instances in this where he does shit that seem like feats of like superhuman ability, and yeah. Mark Millar gives no explanation to it at all. I mean, we do see him with lots of very interesting tech, so it could be solved mm-hmm. that way, but he doesn't go out of his way to explain it.
2: Yeah, and yeah. There's, a, there's a lot about this book that it's, like, it happens because it happened. So just, li- like, deal with it, people. Like, it's a lot of that that happens yes. in this book. Which, I guess if you just take it for what it is and don't question it, then that that's totally fine. It just stuck with me, like, what, does he have superpowers? Like, is he, like, can he fly? fly? Can he, does he is he like Magneto and he can like stick to metal? Like what's the deal with this guy? And, um, they really, like you said, they never answer that. They kind of just, it just happens.
0: Yeah. He's got to roll with it. Yeah. It does ask you to just turn your mind off and just go on this hyper violent, <laughs> <freaking laughs> crazy, like revenge story. <laughs> it, it's almost like an ocean's 11 <laughs> type shit where it's like yeah. all this like crazy shit just falls into place. You know, it's like this plan goes the way that he had it planned out.
2: And, you know, you, you can imagine that if if this was sort of a more traditional comic story that consisted of, let's say, I don't know, 30 issues, right? Um, you would imagine that that would all be flushed out. Like, as the story goes, we, we, we learn a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. But since this is only four issues, and it's a standard comic size. They've just got to pack a lot of stuff in there. And it's like, it just happens. So just live with it. And and I guess that's kind of how you have to take it. Um, there is no backstory because you don't need it. And it's such a unique storytelling technique, especially for our, for a comic book where there's usually a lot of exposition. There's very little exposition in this whole story.
0: Yeah, it's a quick read. I mean, you can fly through this trade. You can almost
2: crush the whole trade
0: in like less than a half hour.
2: Yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. Absolutely.
1: Well, what's crazy, too, is when this book first came out in 2010, it was only coming out once every quarter. Oh, my gosh. It took took a a year year for this four issue series to get finished. Like, think how crazy it'd be to read one of these issues and then have to wait three more months to get the next one i'd
0: be so pissed it's like reading southern (laughs) bastards
1: yeah seriously (laughs) fucking things are going on 20 years you got 19 issues
0: (laughs) you can't rush perfection in the case of southern (laughs) bastards it's so good (laughs) um would would kind of going back to the hyper violent nature of this and just how shocking and disturbing some of the the concepts they explore in this comic are. Um, like one thing that I read online that I thought was pretty cool was that Mark Millar auctioned the right to the name of the main police character in this, and the winning bid was eighty five hundred dollars.
1: <laughs> that's crazy, right?
0: And the proceeds went to a charity that's run by Mark Millar's brother, uh, whose name is Doctor Bobby Millar. And all he like runs a charity that helps children with special needs. So as fucked wow. up as this book oh. is, it generated <laughs> proceeds to children with special needs. It's like,
2: wow. Alright, kids, don't don't ask where that equipment came from. Just enjoy it. Exactly.
0: <laughs> we sold our souls, but don't worry about it. <laughs> And it was, like, so popular and so successful that the real name of the main supervillain character was also auctioned off. So, I mean, apparently the, this book generated a lot of money, <laughs> the, you know, for charity, which is pretty awesome. Wild. Yeah. That's wild. I was quite shocked to read that, though. <laughs> I was like, wow, yeah, that money came from a weird place. <laughs> <laughs> um, Getting right into it, though, I mean, you know, we kind of discussed that opening scene already, and, I mean, that really sets the stage for what's about to come. And, like, it's it's so shocking, and it's the art is so crazy. I mean, we see a dude that's tied to a chair get hit by, like, a high-speed train. And his body basically just kind of, like, spreads out over the front of the train <laughs> in, like, g- glorious, gory detail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what did you guys think of Steve McNiven's art in this beginning part?
1: Uh, I mean, I... I- I love oh. his art. His, sorry. His art is just <laughs> fucking great. Like, it's, it's, it's super, out, like, it, it just hits you right in the face. Like, when he wants to draw something that's expe- expressive for that page or panel, he can really make it jump off the page at you.
2: This train hit the guy in that face. I mean, <laughs> but, I mean, like, so when, when the train hits the guy and then they, they like, do a close-up? um and this is where like reading it digitally like helps you can zoom in and stuff like there's like body parts and organs like flying all over the place uh, i it's really graphic and you could imagine like if they ever translated this to the screen um how i mean it would just have to be completely cgi I'd like to get that same detail but it's it's very like, you know, right away that th- this guy's not fucking around like he's <laughs> he's out. He's out to, like, do real damage to people.
1: Yeah. Wouldn't it be incredible if Netflix made this a fucking movie? Holy shit. Heck
2: yeah. <laughs> they that own, would be they own awesome. the
1: property because this is a do World.
2: Yes, they do. They own the property now because it's Malar World. But uh, can you? Yeah, this would be a very cool movie.
0: Well, actually, speaking of that, the the rights to this were already sold to Twentieth Century Fox. Fuck.
2: <laughs> well, now it belongs to Disney, I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, like, no, it gets deeper. So Joe Carnahan was writing this with his brother Matthew Carnahan, and they were doing the screenplay together. And so Joe Carnahan is he did films like uh, Blood, Guts, Bullets, and Octane, which I'd never seen. Uh, Narc smoke and aces uh the a-team and the gray now i've actually seen smoke and aces and that was pretty fucking crazy weirdly stylized movie so if he does anything like that i could i could see this actually being a pretty cool adaptation
2: yeah i think it would have to be very stylized it it would Um, it would have to it would have to be
1: did uh did miller write sin city no that was frank miller okay I I was kind of thinking if they shot that, if they shot this, if they did this this movie and shot it kind of like Sin City, it might work really well too.
0: Yeah. You know, with Sin City, the thing that I loved the most about that was that you could tell that Robert Rodriguez was just a huge fan of the source material because that whole movie is just an homage to the source material. You can just hit pause randomly on that Blu ray and flip through your Sin City books and then figure out which panel you're looking at on the TV.
1: That's crazy. That's it, awesome.
0: It's that close, like it's fucking wacky. But
1: like Watchmen, close,
0: <laughs> like far more, <laughs> far closer than Watchmen was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like there really wasn't much for deviations, and like that. For I've never seen the second one because they waited so long for it to come out, and like I didn't hear anybody flipping out about it, and so I I just haven't made that effort to go after it. But that first Sin City movie was great, and yeah and if the screenplay that this dude writes if it's close enough to the source material I'd be super excited with him doing a movie on this because Smoke and Aces it had a lot of fucking hyper violence and and weird shit in it and so I know the guy's capable of putting out something that could match this
1: That's good to hear
0: Yeah and then uh August 10th of 2015 it was announced that Warner Brothers will adapt the film so <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh <laughs> damn it! God damn it! I'm going home forget it I'm I
0: saved the best thing. for last. There, <laughs>
2: damn it, Joe. <laughs>
0: Dude, when I read that, I went, "Oh shit! Are you kidding?" <laughs> they're gonna ruin it. <laughs> they're
2: gonna ruin it, Joe. They're gonna
0: ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there. I mean, there hasn't been news on it for a long time, and there's been some like weird Twitter exchanges. Um, between Joe Carnahan and Mark Millar, and and then of course like IGN ran with it and made wrote some you know clickbait article, and I, it's it's kind of a bunch of funny drama. So I mean, Google that if you want to read like borderline like adults acting like children shit. But
2: <laughs> Ben Affleck in his nemesis, Ben Affleck out his nemesis. Jake Gyllenhaal take the role. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote all the Twitter accounts there for you. That would be hilarious if they got ben Affleck to play. It <laughs> He'll direct the movie. Now he won't direct the movie.
1: <laughs> what if they had, What if they tried having Chris Evans play Nemesis?
2: All right, Rod, calm down. You can't, you can't get me like all excited about that kind of stuff. But Chris is not a bad guy. You know. I mean, I you saying, can't I- really. Cast him as the bad guy. That's what I, I was, was just going to
0: say. I can't see Captain America doing the evil fucking shit that Nemesis no,
2: does. Oh, no. He's not, he doesn't have it in him to do it. I could I could see, like, Chris playing, like, if they aged him a little bit, like, playing the, like, super, super good police guy, um, Blake Morrow. But um, even then, I mean, he's, he's too young for that role. You can't just throw Chris's name out like that, Rob. I mean, <laughs> calm down, you know. <laughs> I
0: could totally see Robert Redford playing an awesome Blake Morrow, though. Oh, yep.
2: my yeah, God. Yeah, he would be oh. good. Yes. Oh, yeah. After, uh, or how about Ian McShane as, as as a, no, no. Ian McShane is better, like, as a bad guy. Um, I but, did like, get excited since-
0: about that for a moment, though. I'm I am not going to lie. Listen-
2: Listen, I, ever since American Gods, I'm, like, kind of in love with Ian McShane. I want to see him and everything. Uh, have you have you watched but, Deadwood? Uh, I have.
0: Uh, that's where I, I fell love. in love with Ian McShane is fucking Swearingen. Holy shit.
2: Yeah. It's, it's so weird because I watched Deadwood, like, a long time ago. And then, like, I kind of forgot about him. And then he popped up again in American Gods. I know he's done other things. It's not Like, I think he's done anything else. He's done other things. But... In American Gods he was so engaging and so I don't know, like something like electric about him on screen and then um so like now I'm just like all all I'm all in for anything with Ian McShane's name on it.
0: Yeah, dude. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Have you seen uh Deadwood Rod? No, I have not. Oh, dude, definitely add that to your list. It's it's crazy.
1: <laughs> it's like, is it? What is it? Is that the one that's on HBO? Yep. Yeah. Okay.
2: And it's, it's um, it's a series, and it's it's a western, um, but it's not what you expect from a Western. So if you have in your head of like what a typical Western is, it's not going to be that it'll be something else, but it has that Western touch to it. It's hard to explain without giving, yeah. without telling too many details, but I would say watch a couple episodes and see if you like it. But I think like uh, West world West.
0: It's, it's more of a period piece that just takes place yeah. at that okay. kind of turn of the century. Um, Who would it be? Is it Back after Is your time? Yeah, kind of like that. Kind of like Back to the Future 3 type time.
2: Yeah, exactly. But it, yeah. it takes
0: place in Deadwood, South Dakota before South Dakota has become a state. And so it's just a territory and it's like basically just a gold mining town. And it's got uh, Timothy Oliphant and he plays this guy who had previously been a sheriff, but then he wants to transition into being a merchant. And so he teams up with this guy and they buy a whole bunch of stuff to basically start a general store and they move into deadwood and they start this store and then the so the whole series just centers around this town and ian mcshane's character plays al swearingen who like owns the local tavern slash whorehouse and he's a very colorful character and he's also kind of the criminal guy that runs the town but then really quickly this other big guy comes into town and they kind of got a war going between them and Timothy Oliphant's character very, eventually transitions into being the sheriff like reluctantly. And so there's all this friction, but they also have to work together and they play off each other brilliantly. And if, if you turn that show into a drinking game like you will die. <laughs> they swear so much in it. It's yeah. like an obscene amount. Like you will literally start using the word cocksucker in your personal life without even realizing you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: great. <laughs> yeah,
2: but um, you know what? What's really interesting is um, what's a, a, as Joe was saying, like it it does take place like in the late 1800s, closer to like 1900s. But you know, it's. <clears throat> Whereas like traditional westerns like really romanticize the old West and you know uh this town ain't big enough for further do this partner that kind of stuff um th- this this is just a whole lot more swearing and whoring and drinking and and it's very it feels so modern even though it's supposed to be over a hundred years ago and now I want to watch Deadwood again me so. too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we are so off topic. We Oh, that's okay. Topic. You
1: guys you guys are talking about this and this is making me want to watch Maverick. Oh, God. <laughs> no.
0: No,
2: that's a bad movie, Rod.
0: Bad movie. A fun poker movie.
2: <laughs>
0: Does this sound like we're having fun? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Dude on the quiet man or something. Don't watch Maverick. Maverick. I, I shouldn't say that. Watch what you want, Rod, but I'm I'm judging you. How
0: do you bring up a Mel Gibson, a lighthearted Mel Gibson movie with James Garner? We're talking nemesis. I know, I
3: know.
2: I don't, know I don't know what's happening. This has gone off the rails. Uh, uh, in the most beautiful way. <laughs> it started out because I said Ian McShane, and then from there it was gone. It was, it was over.
0: <laughs> uh, and we work our way back to Blake Morrow. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this is the police chief of Washington, D.C. that Nemesis has targeted next in his campaign of terror and being the world's only supervillain. And our introduction to Blake Morrow is really cool. Um, we get to see the store being robbed and him just kind of sneaking in through the back and taking these guys out. Um, Rod, what did you think of that?
1: Yeah, it was fucking crazy because he's just like out of nowhere. You just get, you go for, straight from that train falling off the rails to just like the next page. You just see four dudes getting shot close up, one through the head, one through the chest, one through the throat another through the shoulder, it looked like, and just all these dudes just getting nailed. And then next page, you just get him right in the panel holding a shotgun. <laughs> <And> it's just <laughs> awesome enough to see... And he's, like, an older... He's an older fellow. He's not, like... I would have thought, like, turning the page, it'd be someone, like, in their 30s or something. He looks like he's in his 50s or 60s.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Older, experienced policeman who... I mean, he has zero chill. He does not fuck around. Right. <laughs>
2: well, well, he also doesn't, like he doesn't do what you would expect a police chief to do, which would be number one to not do this. Like don't get like weighed into this, but then he like, he never like identifies himself as a police officer. He just shoots the bad guys. Like it's the wild West here, you know? And, and he just, he just sneaks in the back and blows them away with a shotgun. Like That's not even a shotgun. It's like an AK 47 or something. It's, it's nuts. Like, but yet, like, there's no repercussions either. There's no like, you didn't read them their rights. and you didn't like advise them that they could be silent and you didn't identify yourself. Nope, there's none of that. He's just hailed as this hero. Like, hooray, you did it. And it's it's really it's so odd. like they it's almost like they all worship this guy of how of how good he is. yeah, um, and how much they love him, how the how much the how much the public loves him. Yeah, I mean, he
0: comes out of the store, and it's just completely casual to him. He's talking with the FBI. He's tying a bow tie, talking about how he's going to be late for his back. Was it a backgammon game?
1: Baccarat.
0: (laughs) Baccarat. It's like, whoa. And then they they show him the card, and it says, Blake Morrow, March 12th at midnight, flatline still counts. And so then he knows, you know, shit, man, this is, you know, I've read the reports previously. This had all been just happening in Asia and now it's coming to Washington D.C. of all places, mm-hmm. um, Rebecca. What did you think of the card? I mean, I know we touched a little bit on it earlier, but
2: um, well, it's so straightforward, isn't it? Like, it's just there. There, there's no dicking around here. Your name. This is when you're gonna die, and and like that's it. And and it's it's almost like. Um, I, and it's so simple. It's like a real simple business card, and it's almost like a, a like a little calling card. And it's it's just so casual, but just so final at the same time. And uh, which again just sort of speaks to the whole psychology of of who Nemesis is. That this has all been planned out ages and ages ago. Um, yeah, because it's just so casually done.
0: Oh yeah, I, I mean, somebody handed me a card with my name and the date of my death. <laughs> I mean, like uh, my blood would just run cold. Like, and this guy just takes it in stride. You know, I mean, so right away we see he's a total badass, and we also see that he really does have nerves of steel. Like, he just has an analytical mind. He's like, okay, this is what we're going to be up against next. Let's take, you know, this precaution and that precaution. Um, well, I mean, what did you think of that, Rod?
1: Yeah, it's it almost like he he received an appointment card. And then they tell him it's authentic. They matched it with like the same stock and font that he used. And he's like, all right, here we go. And he's like, you're saying, he's basically saying we need to get my family and a child or like to protective custody and do all these things. Cause he knows what they're actually up against.
0: Yeah. I mean, but it just, it's just hard to believe this is all happening in issue one. <laughs> right not even like five pages in (laughs) (laughs) i mean and then we get we get you know the stakes ramped up even higher when we see this guy land on top of a plane hijack it basically like by he lands on the top and he just walks to the front and just points a gun through the windshield of the plane at the pilots and then still wastes them lands the plane and like i love how he lands it and like crashes it into that tunnel Mm-hmm. You know, so it basically makes it easy. You know, it kind of cuts off the, the amount of response that can happen. And, you know, throughout all this, this is Air Force One. Like, he's kidnapping the president in Washington, D.C. Like, what? A, I mean, a moment ago, I just said that I couldn't believe this is all happening in issue one and the stakes were getting high. But by the end of the book, like, the stakes are in just off the fucking map. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he, he, he's got the president on live TV. He's taken over all the news feeds and he's like sitting on like a throne basically with the president bound and gagged and like just tells all of America, you know, hey, what's he say? What's he say, Ron? Uh,
1: It's time you hailed your new fucking chief. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa, <laughs> and, Like what a crazy splash page. I mean, this was this was one of the wildest number one issues I've ever read.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and to think that it's a quarter of the whole story, like, that's the other thing. Like, it's four issues. Issue one is it's one-fourth of the whole story. It, there's a lot packed into here um, to just set it up for you so that the next three issues can just give you how the story will all play out.
0: What was your impressions on it just as, like, a standalone first issue, Rod?
1: Uh, I thought it was an incredible first issue because, I mean, right away get you right into a, a situation, a scenario, so you're already kind of hooked on the story. But then all the crazy shit that they ha- have happened just within this first issue, and how violent it is—it's like I don't understand like how you wouldn't want to continue reading it. Like it was a, like a perfect setup in a, such a short miniseries.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. If I read a number one like that like I would not be thrilled that I had to wait three months for number two, but I would wait. <laughs> like, <have Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I was able to actually read this in trade.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've re- been rereading that first issue so many times.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Trying to pick up every little nuance in it. Yeah. And uh yeah. And amazingly the stakes get raised even further in the second one with that Pentagon attack. That
2: was fucking insane. Rebecca, what did you think of that? Oh, the, the Pentagon attack was like ridiculous because the way they set it up is that he's leaving them all of these riddles, right? Um, at all the, at all the different, uh, crime scenes. And, they're he's trying to piece it together and he of course he pieces it together that it's 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 the pentagon uh but of course by the time he figures it out it's too late and nemesis has released and again there's like zero explanation how did he get into the pentagon it's like one of the most guarded buildings how did he release this nerve gas into the into the pentagon how did he slip the antidote into these guys coffee it's insane what this guy can do (laughs) and i mean it's like how did he do it because he did it and it's like okay let's go on this crazy ride like it's just it's wild
0: yeah i mean the story is told in very broad strokes (laughs)
2: yeah absolutely (laughs)
1: Yeah, it leaves so much into the imagination, like, well, how did he do it and all this stuff? And like, that's the whole point of it, really, though, is just to leave that mystery there. Like, It just fucking works.
0: Yeah. And he seemingly did it all, you know, A, to ramp up the body count because he killed something like what, like 20 to 30,000 people in that attack?
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And B, he wanted to taunt Morrow. Like, hey, you could be dead right now, but it's not the time that I put on your card. So you're not dead yet. And and I, I loved that he was able to say all this behind a sheet of bulletproof glass. So there was nothing Morrow yeah. could do. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's crazy. but they also too they also established that not only is Morrow like like the most respected police chief like in the country and that other cities have modeled their police staff after his but that he's also in line to basically become Homeland Security uh, or, or, or Secretary of, of Homeland Security for the president. So it's like he's set up to be like this really important political figure even um, on, on a nationwide level. So th- this is like a really high profile person that Nemesis has targeted to kill next
0: yeah i mean it's wild <laughs> it's just another way that mark millar has ramped up the stakes in this and i mean that just goes into that feeling of this this just intense roller coaster ride that this story is
1: yeah and the way you write some of the dialogue like in the one panel where he says says the man who lost a president and all his country's nuclear codes like <laughs> oh shit this dude's just gonna just send out these nuclear codes to anybody
0: yeah because while he was in the pentagon he hacked all their computers
2: oh and he he released it like all online right like as i yeah. recall he he released uh all of the secrets online so it's like nothing is safe now um yeah that's uh that's wild and i love that
0: next scene where you know Morrow kind of sets a trap for nemesis and th- we got to see some cool shit in that. Um, like, I flipped out when we saw his car split in half, and then he basically comes with like a, like that bat pod almost cut out of it. It's like, oh my god, that was god. so reminiscent of the Dark Knight.
2: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that scene when his car split open and and the mo and like the motorcycle came out, I was like, oh, sick! That is so cool. That was like. <laughs> That was
1: the craziest thing. <coughs> yeah, and the <laughs> fact that he's got like the big-ass machine guns on the front of his car <laughs> or <Yes>. his motorcycle.
0: <laughs> it was awesome. It was like everything. It, it, you read this book and you're like, how does this guy keep knowing what's going to happen at every step of the way? It's like if you go into this book as a skeptic, like I could see you like just being able to talk shit on this book the entire time you read it. But if you allow yourself to just go along with the ride, like, he he just does everything perfectly. Yeah, I mean, even when he's, like, ramping off into the water, he does that flip and he does, like, the Force Awakens Millennium Falcon shot (laughs) as he's, like, spinning (laughs) and takes out the the helicopter behind him. It's just beautiful.
1: It's like they... He's doing everything with such precision like they turn him into like the hero of the story like you want like you can't believe what you're seeing but you want to see it happen.
0: Yes, that is a perfect way of putting it. And and that yeah. was how I felt reading this. I was like, I should not be rooting this guy on. He just murdered all these poor bastards that have to go to the Pentagon every day and just push papers. <laughs> you know, I should <laughs> not be liking this guy. And and you do you want to see him succeed. It's like he's so He's just so freaking cocksure throughout the whole thing. You just want to see him succeed. (laughs) Even though success on his part is horrific.
2: Yeah. Um, quick question, Joe. Could we go back to the beginning of issue two and talk a little bit about um what we're led to believe is his origin story? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I brushed right past that. Go ahead. Oh no, no, that's okay. I just I wanted to um just talk about that a little bit because I thought it was a really neat um, so for first, when I first read this today, um, it, it seems to make sense cause they set up that basically nemesis is this guy, Matthew Anderson, and that 20 years ago when he was a kid, his parents who apparently like to have, I don't know, 18th century French dress up costume parties, um, <laughs> they, their home gets raided and, by the police, and they're found out that they've basically been running um this uh, this like high stakes game where rich people can hunt teenage runaways. and i I don't know about you, Joe and Rod, but it kind of reminded me a little bit about Marvel's Runaways that was just on. Um, just that whole aspect of like scooping up runaway kids from the street and using them for their own nefarious need, nefarious desires and whatever. Um, I don't know. It just hit a, a chord with me. Like it was similar ish to, to the runaways. I don't know if that hit for you guys at all. Yeah. I
0: can it see made where you're coming me, from with that.
2: Oh, go ahead, Rod.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, it made me actually feel like um, if you guys ever saw the movie surviving the game,
0: that, that's what I was just going to bring up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it made me think of that. Cause that's
1: like, it, guess it's, it's just more, further back in time compared to when they're doing it because it's basically like these rich people find homeless guys um and kind of see if they can withstand like a good amount of like endurance and stuff like that and basically just bring them to this like forested woods area and hunting them over a weekend
2: it was one of ice T's first
0: starring roles yeah ice oh
2: okay i never saw that movie but yeah i okay for sure that would That's like very similar here. Um, And we see that basically when the cops raid the home, the dad kills himself. Like he can't face justice. He can't face the music. He hangs himself. And, you know, young Matthew Anderson sees this. Mom is arrested and she's executed, actually. Like you see her in the electric chair and that her dying words to her son is that she wants him to destroy the policeman who busted into their home and it's blake morrow and i thought oh okay now this all makes sense like when i read this i was like gotcha i know exactly what's gonna happen now i didn't but i thought i didn't know what was gonna happen <laughs> next but it's it's a really it's a really cool origin story and then he like does all this these badass facts like I ran away when I was 10. And then when I was 12, I was a gang Lord and at 15, I was a drug expert, like all this crazy stuff that like nobody could ever do, but that he somehow did. And that now he's returned 20 years later as nemesis and to exact revenge for his family, losing their, their fortune.
0: Yeah. It's an incredible story. And like the, the surviving relative is actually like a good friend of Blake Morrow's. Wasn't that the guy he yeah. was going to play Baccarat with?
2: Exactly. That's the, it's it's yeah. his uncle. And that's the guy that Blake Morrow plays Baccarat with every week.
0: It's crazy. <laughs> crazy how interconnected that is, right? Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, so, yeah, we see, you know, after he does that in- impossible shot, crashing his motorcycle into the, into the harbor or whatever, we, doesn't it look like he's got a little mini lightsaber?
2: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but just—I
1: I knew it was just like a stick, a light stick.
0: Oh, I thought that like, was what he used to like cut through the. Uh, yeah, the, I did too.
2: That yeah. I thought it was like a torch, oh, like you're, in the you're, torch. you're right.
1: You're right. You're right. Yeah, never mind. I
2: know I'm right, because <laughs> yeah, he like <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: you can see now in the, in the bottom panel that there it's been cut out.
0: <laughs> so yeah, he, he kind of swims underwater and goes up through this tunnel, and so this whole time like. He he had stolen an organ that was like a it was a heart that was meant to transplant like into like a little kid, right? Yeah. And uh that was a trap that was set by Morrow. There was a tracking device in it and everything, and so when he comes up out of the sewer, like they're waiting for him with guns drawn, and so he gets arrested. And uh Rod, what's that line that he gives him at the end?
1: Um, so like they basically they have him down on the ground and morrow's basically telling like you thought you could outsmart us we outsmarted you and then the very last panel or the last page is just a splash zoomed in on nemesis face bleeding on the ground guns pointed around his head and then he says you didn't think i planned all this and then up to be continued
0: yeah and he's already planned so much stuff ahead right now already that we've seen where it's like oh shit what the fuck is gonna happen
2: in number three (laughs) well it's it's very reminiscent of and it's a storyline or it's a storytelling device we've seen in other things but it reminded me of you know the first avengers movie where loki lets himself get captured right and and when he's brought on board the ship nick fury's like why is he the only one who wants to be here And, and it's, it's a great storytelling device because it, it, um, it leads to a really epic battle and, and all this great stuff that happens on the, on the aircraft and blah, blah, blah. But the same thing here with, with Nemesis that when he says, you didn't think I, I, I didn't plan all this. Like I was like, oh shit, he wanted to get caught. He wants to get caught because (laughs) something is there in the, in the police station or he needs to get to something. And the only way to get it is to get caught. And, um, yeah, I thought that was like it just took it the story to another level for me. Oh, all
0: absolutely.
1: I, yeah, and all I can say is this is might be the best third issue of a series ever. This, oh. third, this third issue is fucking incredible.
3: Like,
1: yeah. <laughs> so holy shit. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so tell us how this one starts off, dude.
1: So, like, we get, we get, um like, shots, the three panels basically showing the prison that they're going to be taking him to North Branch. And then you see him come along in the police truck with all the cops. And they're saying that they can't take off his mask because he's wired it with explosives and shit. So they can't take it off. Um, then you just kind of get, like, a panel talking about, like, the news saying how we caught him and everything and that the the wife's chief Marvel's wife's coming back and the kids are coming back home and this, this lead up is insane so basically Nemesis is getting led through the middle of the, the jail with the other prison inmates with like I don't know like 15 guards around him and all of a sudden like you get kind of panels of them saying who his people he's working with are and that you don't have to worry about him and one's like a demolition dude One's a technology expert, one's an identity thief. And then all of a sudden you just get like panels. He's saying lights out, Johnny lights on. And next thing you know, everyone's dead around him.
0: Yeah. The identity <laughs> thief in his crew was one of the prison guards escorting him.
1: Yeah. And that's fucking great. Cause then you get him saying like, there's released like a hundred cops on you. He's like, I only count 97. And then you just, <laughs> you just get panels of him just killing all these guards or these cops in just crazy ways. Like explain some of these panels.
0: Oh yeah, I mean it's fucking insane. Like he's, I, I and this is one of those parts where I was talking about earlier where I don't understand how if this is just a regular guy who's just rich and it's like yes, okay, I I guess I would accept that Batman could do this, so I'm gonna <laughs> accept that Nemesis can do this too. But I mean he. How the fuck does one person kill ninety seven people in Riot Gear? Yeah, I,
2: I, exactly. Like the, again, it's sort of like I, I was reading this and I'm like, the dude has to have superpowers. I mean, <laughs> come on. Yes, he have superpowers. But like, you you bring up a good point here, Joe, because you're like you believe Batman could do this, but it's because number one, we have a long history with Batman. We know what he can do. But number two, uh, Batman has gadgets everywhere right he's got the utility belt and he's got all kinds of stuff um so when when batman does it he integrates like his gadgets with his fighting this guy's just punching people and like killing them and it's like how do you do that it's it's insane
1: (laughs) he's like the love child of batman and john wick (laughs) yes
2: That is so that is so true, Ron. That That is is amazing.
0: (laughs) But I mean, I suppose it's not all barehanded. I mean, he's taking all these batons and just like stabbing them in eye sockets and through the mouth. And like I I love the reactions we get from the prisoners in the cells. Yeah. (laughs) That are watching (laughs) it all go down. That at first they're into it and then after a bit they're fucking horrified. Yeah,
2: there's a scene where like He's basically impaled a guard through his ear, out his mouth, into the ground. And the prisoner is like, fuck, dude. (laughs) Like, even he's like, that's a bit excessive, don't you think? (laughs) Even that guy's like, that's a bit much. And, um, yeah, it's it's wild.
0: (laughs) And it's all part of his plan, you know? Yeah. It is because all these prisoners are then let loose and the prison parking lot is just filled with all these identical cars.
2: Yeah. And you you know what I think is interesting too, is the use of, of the, of white and black in, in, in this comic, because usually like very, uh, very typically like, you know, good guys wear white or light colors and bad guys wear dark colors obviously that gets mixed up all the time, but I mean, we have here like how many white cars, pristine white cars, and they're all for these terrible hardened criminals. And we have nemesis all in white, but he's covered in blood. Like the use of, of white with like other, especially blood, but like other contrasting colors is so well done in, in, in this book. I I can't, I can't praise that enough.
0: Yeah, excellent color work in this. You're not kidding. Yeah,
1: the way they contrasted the white on the red with the blood reminded me a lot of Nailbiter.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, and <laughs> this issue three, man, it, it ends Blow on a big a downer for Morrow. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, just a little bit. So he basically got himself caught just to flush his family out of protective custody and he abducted his kids.
2: Yeah, that was, um, when he, when he abducted the kids up until now, I was sort of just like all the hyper violence was almost funny to me. But when he abducted the kids, that was the first time I was like, Oh my God, he's going to do something terrible to those kids. Isn't he like, like what's the best way to hurt someone is to hurt the people that they love the most, right? Hurt their kids, hurt their family. I, I actually felt like for the first time, like really worried, like, uh oh, what is gonna happen to these kids now? Yeah,
0: I totally agree.
2: Rod, how'd that make you feel?
0: Yeah,
1: I knew something was up. Um I thought maybe he's gonna kidnap the wife or something. I wasn't sure. Um I definitely did not expect what happens it's going to happen that's for sure uh, when I re- it was like one of the biggest oh f- holy shit fuck moments i've ever read in a comic i think
0: yeah i i agree and and i kind of remember you alluding to this a little bit when you were texting saying that you need to read this book dude um, yeah you were like dude there's something that happens and this is one of the most fucked up things that's ever happened in a comic and, <laughs> and when i read the book i was like i think i know what he was talking about
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: Like how
1: ballsy is that to fucking put that in a comic? Right. Like to address that
0: of all things. Well, and to drop that and then be like, now I'm gonna wait, make them wait for three months. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, jumping right into this third issue, um, Nemesis has got the children, and he's using them as leverage over Blake because. In the end, this is all about Blake. This is all about destroying this person that, you know, like Rebecca was just saying earlier, that the, the you know, the, the population just adores. Like, he's on the fast track to rising up into, you know, being the secretary of Homeland Security and everything. And Nemesis doesn't want to just kill this guy. He wants to, you know, really destroy his, his image before he kills him. And he uses his children to reveal three deeply held family secrets that Blake doesn't know about, but his wife does. And so right there, it's like, well, this, the, the wife wasn't kidnapped because she's the one that has to deliver this. I mean, the, just this crushing news to Blake of what had been going on. And Blake has been this, you know, Catholic family man. And, like, this kind of, you know, vision of, like, you know, pious purity. I mean, earlier, when, when he first knows that this is going on, he kind of assembles his team. Like, this is, like, such, like, a thoughtful guy that he even knows that one of the people on his staff has given up caffeine for Lent. And so he's like, you know, bring in 15 coffees and one green tea for, you know, so-and-so who's given up caffeine. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, you can tell that he he takes these religious things very seriously. and And... Rebecca, what are these deeply held family secrets?
2: So the first one is that for 18 months, his wife Peggy had, sorry, yeah, for 18 months, his wife Peggy had an affair with Morrow's partner. And it happened uh, right after they got married. And uh, it's interesting because she considered leaving him, but then the the partner milk broke it off, and Nemesis asks him, "Why do you think she started the relationship?" And he admits, "Like completely frankly, I was an inattentive husband and a poor performer sexually." <laughs> I mean, twist yikes. the
0: knife, right? Yeah, right? exactly,
2: exactly, <laughs> and then. Uh, The second truth or the second secret is that his son is gay, uh, secretly gay. Um, The father was never told. He didn't tell his dad because he thought that the father would be disgusted by him because he's so Catholic. He's so religious. So he came out to his mom, but he did not come out to his father. Um, But then the father says, you know, I could never hate my son. I love him more than anything in the world. And then the third secret is that his daughter had gotten pregnant, had an abortion and didn't tell him. And again, it's because he's so Catholic and uh, probably pro-life anti-abortion that she felt like he would be disappointed in her. And um, so she never told him. So those are the three, uh, those are the three family secrets that Peggy had to tell him about. That is dark (laughs) i mean very dark you know and in a character
0: development way we're seeing that i mean this guy has been a rock right i mean this has got to spin him out on some level that the people closest to him you know lie to him because they feel like look you are so intense in your beliefs on things that you're not going to accept your family for what it really is Mm -hmm. Like, like rod what did you think of that man
1: yeah, it was it was intense. Basically showing, like, hey, he's basically trying to prove the biggest point. Like, you are taking, like, your job and your, your, like, religion way too seriously. And you're losing that on your family. And he's trying to, like, prove, like, this is what you can see why. And it's nuts.
0: Oh. <laughs> like, this was, like, a, a a part in the book where, like... I mean, he's using the children as leverage. With like what you had said earlier, Rebecca, that was something where it, all of a sudden it, it raised the stakes in this even more to me. And then it started making me feel like, okay, now I'm not so much on this guy's side, right? And then, and now we're starting to sympathize with Blake a little bit more. Like it's like, okay, yeah. I mean, really, you're the way that you conduct yourself with your family led to this happening. But I also feel for you that this is how you're learning this. And and like what he had said with his son, like he wasn't disgusted. He was like, no, I love my kid. You know, the love for my child, like far supersedes my faith. And so, I mean, right there, it's like, okay, now, now I'm starting to get on Blake's side, but Nemesis has already proved himself to be such a worthy adversary to where now like I, I'm really starting to worry about this guy.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and then too, like if if you think about what's happened to Blake and and the things that have happened, how he's reacted, I mean, you could see any person reacting very similarly. I think. I think Blake is almost you know every man in that sense. Um, what what person hasn't at one time or another maybe had their priorities in the wrong place and their marriage may have suffered temporarily for it i I mean we're all human and we all make those mistakes you could understand why certain things happened and and but blake tries to learn from it um yeah it's it's like, like you said it really makes blake much more sympathetic and you start to be like oh you know even if your beef even if your beef is with blake like leave the kids out of it like they didn't do anything to you um it's uh Yeah, this scene was hard to read, and then interwoven with this, we see Nemesis like putting on like a fresh costume, but it's being put on him by like robot arms or like a machine. Which again, no explanation of what's happening. It's just
1: (laughs) just go with it.
2: Just Doctor Octopus is there, I guess, putting on it's. But again, leading to like this guy's got so many resources at his disposal it's like beyond ridiculous what he can do
0: yeah that that yeah. scene with the robot arms putting his suit on it reminded me of that scene in iron man 1 <laughs>
2: oh yeah yeah for sure yes
0: <laughs> and i mean that ties right into look at the resources i mean holy shit true <laughs> <laughs> and um you know shockingly we see that nemesis sticks to his word you know blake blake admitted these 3 deeply held family secrets to him and so he lets the children go but it, it okay and this is this is the fucked up part <laughs> yeah
1: real fucked up
0: <laughs> this is the fucked up part um blake and his wife find out that their daughter has been artificially inseminated with sperm from the sun and her womb has been rigged to collapse if they attempt to terminate the pregnancy yeah <laughs> what, yeah let's just it? let that sink in yeah. for a moment.
1: <laughs> w- was it actually um artificially inseminated
0: yes yeah i'm pretty sure that they mentioned that No, they, they, they
2: say that 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 the doctor said that she was sedated uh when it happened there, there is a pan I know, believe me, because it's like, oh, uh, what? Like that's what um, I thought. Though.
1: Like I thought the way they worded it, that you could take it either way, still.
2: No, because the the doctor, because you, we we see like a splash panel of like a, a like a headline, and it says, "Police chief's daughter pregnant by her gay brother," and um, we see him ask the doctor, "Is it true?" Um, and the doctor says, without question, on the plus side, he fertilized her eggs under anesthetic. So they established that he didn't like force them to have sex with each other because that's really terrible, but that he basically um he basically harvested the son's sperm and fertilized the daughter's egg and then reimplanted it because he's a IVF doctor, yes. That's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm do not questioning it anymore. It just that, that's how it is.
0: <laughs> do you think Millar and McNiven had conversations about this? Like, okay, this is going to be one of the most disturbing things that people have ever read in a comic book. How far do we push this? And they're like, mm,
2: let's go with test tube
0: baby. <laughs> right? I think that's a little more stomachable.
2: Or, or do you think, or do you think that they wanted to go? Like full on, you know, and 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 the comic book company was like, dude, no, no, please, God, well, no, you can't well, do
1: it. I, all I, all I know is that the guy's unconscious. That doesn't mean that the girl's unconscious. They could have like, you never know. Like they could have. That's how they wrote. it. I think that's what like they wanted to take it that far but then they compromise to kind of, like, word things. Oh, they I
2: see think, what you're think saying. Think it one way
1: or another. Like, they don't – kind of like how they just don't explain anything about nemesis, really. They kind of leave, like, a couple lines out that let you interpret it
0: either way. It, it fits into that broad strokes narrative, yeah. I guess. Oh, no,
2: they, you're they, right. Broad strokes, yeah.
0: I, I I guess with me, I took it as artificial insemination because I was like – please god (laughs) well
2: I'm saying like this book's
1: already been so fucked up like why wouldn't it get even more fucked up (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's a good point
2: (laughs) yeah it's um yeah that that I I had to read that like twice and I was like no I read that wrong what (laughs) and and I was like oh oh shit I did not read that wrong (laughs) that is what happened okay and and it's just like and you can see like the mom is horrified, and and I mean my God, who wouldn't be? You know, it's it's insane. Um, it it's it it is so. Uh, it's it's like the most taboo thing ever, right? Of of siblings having a child. Ugh, it's so disgusting, um, and yet Nemesis is forcing. He's forcing Blake to live this nightmare. And and it's, but not just Blake, he's forced the whole family to live this nightmare. And and it's it's just terrible.
1: Yeah, because these kids are like teenagers. Aren't yeah,
2: they? exactly. And, and they don't, they have nothing, e- even if the whole Matthew Anderson backstory was real, they had nothing to do with that. That happened probably before they were born or when they were babies. Like, they had zero to do with it. And so, you know, which, again, just speaks to how far this guy is willing to go to accomplish his goals.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and his biggest goal is to turn the world against Blake Morrow before he finally kills him. And in this way, I mean, what better way to make your family fucking hate you? It's like, hey, all this Mm -hmm. horrible shit happened to us because of you exactly you know i mean and that's one way they could look at it and i mean from the reaction that his wife has i mean doesn't she yell fuck you blake and runs
2: out on him in the hospital pretty much yeah (laughs) well i mean she even says to him like none of this would have happened if it wasn't for you and your stupid job and you know she i mean it just kind of goes back to why she even had the affair in the first place was he was putting his job before his family and you know, here here we are again where the job is interfering with the family. And, yeah, it's – but, like, in a terrible, terrible way.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, this, this issue ends pretty strong. It ends with, with Blake kind of gathering his resolve, and he's, he's holding that awesome shotgun at the end. And he's like, you know, let's nail this son of a bitch. And so issue four, I mean – I wonder if when issue four came out, if people knew that, okay, this is the final issue of nemesis. Because I mean, if that was the case, I mean, holy shit, what kind of expectations you would have going into, I mean, we know it because we all read it as a trade. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, That's a good question. I don't know if people knew at the time. I mean, usually they like slap that on the cover, like, you know, one of four or whatever, but, um, If if people did not if people knew that it was the last issue, my god, who knows what they what they expected from from this final chapter of the story.
3: And yeah,
2: yeah, go ahead, Rod.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say I feel like that they probably had to something like in some of the other comics and off the Icon imprint, maybe like have advertising for it, like a four issue miniseries or something. So I feel like people probably thought it was. Either gonna be four or five issues.
0: It makes a lot of sense. I mean, I generally know when I'm in getting into a miniseries. I've read quite a few of them as they've been coming out. And and I generally know, so I'd imagine this was probably much the same. Yeah. And and I love the way that this last issue starts off with, you know, they're in the helicopter and they're kind of going after the they're going to that Matthew residence and he's kind of figured out that you know this guy that he's been playing backer at with and stuff. This is actually Nemesis. It's not the uncle, and and you know it doesn't make sense to him totally. But that's kind of what they're going with. And and I love how in that helicopter ride he's looking at the card and he's kind of remembering and he's thinking, oh shit. You know this is basically this is the day. You know mm-hmm. at midnight at midnight. You know this shit's supposed to go down, so it's all coming to a head in this issue. Um like what what did you think of that whole thing Rebecca with them going in and it thinking it was going to be the old guy?
2: Well, I it's really interesting because they 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 introduced this character in the previous issue very briefly whose name is Kirby and he's like he's like a double agent basically. He is he's like their guy on the inside, which um so he's been telling them all this information about Nemesis and and that's how they figure out that he's supposedly been uh, um, impersonating his uncle all this time And, and sitting in that in that helicopter you you could feel his tension you could feel his resolve but you have to imagine that he felt scared at the same time because he knew like according to this you know his time is up pretty much and up until now nemesis has been like completely unstoppable yeah so he had to, he had to have been thinking like i have no idea how tonight's going to end i could die tonight but i got to get i got i got to take this guy out and um it it's a great scene with not a ton of dialogue but you just can infer his feelings from just the way it's drawn
0: oh absolutely <laughs> i mean blake morrow is not used to losing Right. And, you know, not only has he been losing, you know, just horrifically, but I mean, he just, he, in a way, he kind of lost his family. Like, it's got to be going through his head, you know, have I lost my family? Like, mm-hmm. how did that hit you, Rod?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, you could tell, like, he was almost like, you could just see he was flustered. Like, he was just getting angry. Like, he was just getting a little, a little bit more agitated, and he's trying to keep his calm. Because, like, you're saying, he's not someone that's used to losing. So you could just tell he's just, yeah, with every panel, you're just seeing a little bit more and more frustration showing up on his face, and then just seeing like the setup that that um, Nemesis had for him with the old dude and all the C4 and shit attached, to, like laid around and attached to him on his bed, and you see a countdown clock at three seconds. And it's just like, okay, here we go.
0: <laughs> it put me in mind of that first issue when. When we think that the police are rushing in to save that that police chief that's tied up on the train tracks, yeah, and they and blow up really, the building, yeah, and they go into like a totally mm-hmm. different building and it blows, and then that building falls over and takes out train tracks and shit. Um, it it put me in mind of that where it's like, oh man, we've already we already know that this is this is you know one of those things that's in his bag of tricks. Like he does that. He'll he'll lure in mm-hmm. a big police force somewhere and then just fucking blow him up.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good. Yeah, I I too was reminded of that first issue, Joe. It's a good callback, um, and of course, it's like, and, and it's as I'm reading this this issue and l- looking at these panels, I'm thinking, this is too easy. It's too easy. There's no way that this is going to wrap up like this. And so, sure enough, when they find the guy all tied up with the C four, and as you said, Rod, three seconds on the clock, it's like, oh, crap, and it just it <laughs> blows. That's it. You know, it, it blows up all those all those officers in there.
1: You know, what's crazy, too, is in the next few pages, when we get really like um, revealed to us what building they're actually at. When you go back and look at these two panels of the actual explosion, when you examine them now, you can see that it's that building. But when you first if you're just first looking at it, the way they shot it, you can't really pick up on how famous of a building it is.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Yeah. And I love this next scene how we're just seeing Morrow on the floor in just kind of like a one spotlight, and it's all black around him. And we're seeing Nemesis kind of, I mean, he's almost monologuing a bit right here, right?
2: Yes, <laughs> completely. <laughs> Yeah, I mean he's he's almost doing the bad guy thing where he like tells all his plans to the hero before he tries to kill him. But yeah, um, it works. I mean, it really works for Nemesis's Nemesis's character. Yeah, <laughs> a that's a fun word, there. right? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it really works for his character here because you kind of expect that like, he's such a showboater. He's such like a a grandstander that. It it fits. It works <laughs> right here in this panel. It does. And maybe that's his only, you know, call it call it the only
0: flaw that keeps him from being like an absolutely perfect supervillain, is that he does have that pride and he's got that ego. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, ultimately, we see where that leads. But I mean, for right now, it's, it's definitely working in his favor. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> what did you think of this moment, Rod?
1: Yeah, this whole like little like monologue speech that he's giving also kinda gave me the feel of um V for Vendetta. The movie oh, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. When V kind of explains who he is right after he's um like in like saves her and stuff. Kind of made
0: me think of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, and and then another blow, we find out that Nemesis had, had, Nemesis had paid off Morrow's partner, or that, that dude that had been by his side the whole time.
2: Yeah. And, uh, I didn't see that coming. Me neither. Because it's like, I got my own man on the inside, too. And it was like, oh, you? You've been here from the beginning. And all of a <laughs> sudden, he's like a traitor. And he did it for the money. Well, $10 million is a lot of money. It was insane.
0: Yes. And, and Rod, did yeah. you see this next twist coming?
1: No, I didn't. Like, I, <laughs> I kind of like had a feeling, and then I didn't really expect it was actually going to happen, but then it was crazy because he's basically saying um, that, like, yeah, now I. did you know that after all the people that held Nemesis always retire after the job? And the very next panel on the f- next page,
0: um, you just see his head getting blown up. That's crazy, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's totally joker move right there, and so yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: but he, he also sell, he also tells him that he's and, and he calls Nemesis the master. He says, the master had me watching you for eight full years. So, if we're to believe that, this guy, eight years ago, took ten million dollars and has been spying on him ever since and reporting back to nemesis eight years he's been planning this i mean no wonder everything is like down to like precision clockwork because he's had eight years to plan it which is like another like it's like a throwaway line here but it's it tells you so much about the character
0: yeah and and the one part here that we didn't give away is that nemesis isn't matthew anderson (laughs) Yeah, no! <laughs> that was just a
1: ruse the whole time.
0: It, it was all just totally just made to f- for. <laughs> I, I mean, I suppose thought it
1: made a good story. It, it did make
0: a good story, and it gave Blake something else to focus on, right? The this yeah. is just a, a a revenge story, and I thought that was pretty great that he was like, "No, the meth, the real Matthew Anderson, you know, squandered his inheritance and died in an Indian whorehouse." <laughs>
2: That's cra- that is that is crazy. So then after yeah after we after we sort of buy the storyline that we've been sold in issue two, in issue four, he was like, "No, nope, that was all made up. What? <laughs> <I> know, what? <laughs> so then of course, now you're like, "Well then who is this guy? Why is he doing this? Because now you're back to if it's not a revenge story, then why? why would you do this?
0: Yeah, and, and what's his reasoning, rod? He's just rich and bored.
3: <laughs> I love it!
1: <laughs> so I'm just going to give it as that, That's simplistic. <laughs> Nothing else is needed.
0: <laughs> and it's like, and after that great line, and then the lights come up, and Rebecca, where are they at?
2: They're in the freaking White House! They're in the Oval Office! <laughs> and, and it's hilarious because... um. He he says he even says to him like, um, like oh where where are we? And he's like oh well what other building do you know has an oval office in it? Like duh, <laughs> you're an idiot. Um, and and here in 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 the White House he's got the president and his wife, Blake's wife, and they both have bomb vests strapped to them. And he tells Blake that he has to choose that. He has thirty seconds to pick one to blow them up, or or if he doesn't choose, the nemesis will blow up both of them. And another callback to the Dark Knight here, for, yes, uh, to, to the movie, obviously, like with the whole two boat thing. Uh, so again, you know, I, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of being sold on this Joker thing here now because I'm like like the more we're talking about it, the more I'm seeing the parallels. So. Yeah, th- this is a very Joker move right here. Choose what's more important to you: your country or your family. And if you don't pick one, then I'll blow them both up. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's an impossible choice. Like, how, how do you choose?
1: When yeah. did Dark Knight come out?
2: Uh, oh well, Heath Ledger just died. Like, uh, oh, the anniversary was ten years ago.
0: Excuse I was going to guess like two thousand six
2: so yeah because he he died like right after making that movie i believe okay so he had okay, yeah.
1: that... so this, okay i was just wondering i couldn't remember if this came out before or after the movie
2: i think this came out after
1: yeah it did
0: yeah i wonder if he was influenced at all that's <laughs> or... what i was saying like i was
1: wondering what which influenced which because when you guys are saying it was total dark night i was whatever well, maybe dark Knight took off of this but it doesn't look like it did
0: that that's got to be an older trope than the dark knight though i mean yeah, th- that, that I can't know. be I, I mean in the long bloody course of human history that can't be <laughs> the first time <laughs> the groups of people were given that choice you know hey right. you kill all of them or they kill all of you or i kill all of you <laughs>
1: yeah, right. they just laid it out a different way
0: <laughs> yeah i mean you gotta think some like bored roman emperors definitely did that shit right <laughs>
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, dude, I love I love the twist that we see at the end of this. That the president is like, you know what? Fuck this. You know, I ate bigger guys than you when I was in Vietnam, and like he takes the hit. Like he rushes fucking Nemesis and tells Blake Morrow, you know, hit the, hit button. the button. It'd be my honor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking crazy. Yeah, I did not see that coming at all. No,
1: (laughs) and neither did Nemesis. He's like, "Holy shit, I'm covered in old person." (laughs) Yeah, love
2: it.
3: He's like a
0: Deadpool. It's like a Deadpool line.
2: It is a very Deadpool line. That is a dead. Yeah, for sure. That is definitely Deadpool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then we get the epic showdown between Blake and and Nemesis, where it's you know, hey, gloves are off. It's fucking fisticuffs time, and um. Right on the front lawn of the White House. And, you know, there's a helicopter up in the air that's watching them. And and Nemesis had previously said that he gassed everybody in the White House. And so that's why there's nobody around to really stop this from happening. But, I mean, we see this insanely bloody fight between Morrow and and Nemesis. And Nemesis the whole time just kind of saying, you know, oh, that bomb's got me kind of fucked up. Or, you know, otherwise I'd be taking you out. (laughs) Which... I mean, we saw him take out 97 freaking armed riot police earlier, so why not, right? Yeah. (laughs) Rebecca, what did you think of the way that this fight ended off?
2: Uh, So, uh, it's really interesting how... So, these guys are basically locked in this hand-to-hand combat, and they're both reaching for guns, and they basically (laughs) shoot each other at the same time. Which is, which is nuts. And, and again, I just would like to point out the use of the black and white with the color here. It's absolutely gorgeous. Cause you see that Blake is in black and again, Nemesis is in white and then you just get splashes of blood. Um, it's just, it's gorgeous use of color here. And it, it also just makes you also question about, you know, good guy, bad guy stuff. Like what makes what makes someone a bad person or what makes someone a good person or do good people have touches of bad in them and do bad people have touches of good in them? I mean, it's, it's, it's a really just interesting, it's an interesting commentary on human nature. I think not to get all like, uh, not to get all like highbrow about it, but it's, it's human nature is, is being played out here and they shoot each other. And uh, i I honestly thought that they were both dead. I thought that's how it ended that they both died. Um, but they don't both die. Blake is still alive. and um th- this is where we get the uh, the uh, prophecy is fulfilled, I guess you could say,
0: yeah, dude, Rod, uh, what do you think of this little flash of scenes at the end where you know, we're kind of getting some dialogue, but it's more just kind you know, conversation. It's not.
1: Doctor conversation.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, medical medical. emergency room. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So like, yeah, you're basically just like hearing that they're basically just trying to keep him alive, and like he's almost they're almost losing him, and then they do have to use the defibrillators on him. He does go flatline, and then you get like a couple panels of his son looking through his wallet, and he sees the card that says Blake Morrow, March 12th at midnight. Flatline still counts. Next panel is um a clock and you see midnight and then the final panels you get to see nemesis half blown off head on the the morgue table
0: dead with a smile
1: yeah he's grinning Mm. it's crazy
0: so i mean even though he died like i mean like he said he i'm rich and bored like this went exactly the way i wanted it to it doesn't matter that i died in a way i still won that card i sent you was accurate this yeah. went down exactly the way I said it would. Yeah, mm-hmm. and these
1: and these final three pages, basically, you, we don't really get a ton of dialogue throughout the story, but then you just get it all laid out on on the table at the very end.
0: Oh, this it's, it's it's like a, an epilogue at the end of it. Yeah, almost. it's fucking
1: perfect the way they finish it off, and they they totally change up the way the the panels are laid out and everything. It's a really unique way that I've never, I haven't seen it in anything else.
0: Yeah, it's with, I, I with Blake so, I reading so many, a letter. Yeah, go so 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 ahead, Rebecca. Question,
2: I have so many questions about this ending. I have so many questions about this ending. Yeah, as you um, should. <laughs> and, and I, and it's I, crazy. I, I read it like no joke three times because I'm like, okay, I'm I'm not getting something here. I I something's over my head. I don't know, but I got to read it again because I'm not sure here. So like, obviously, he plant. So he planned that he would die. he would die or he just set this up in the event that he would die?
0: No. Okay, so we find out in this epilogue that Nemesis wasn't like really the ultimate supervillain here. Right. There- he was working right. for somebody else. And this other person was the one who was capable of thinking all these moves ahead like a chess master. And this guy has sent Morrow a letter that Morrow is just out to eat at a restaurant with his wife. And there's this letter saying, you know, hey, congratulations. You know, you you were a most worthy opponent. You were finally the one who was able to take out Nemesis. Um, You know, we, we're part of this expanding business empire. We've been big in Asia, but now we're moving to the States. And it would be distasteful to involve you in any further ventures. But, you know, maybe for the sake of you and your family, stay away from Los Angeles over the next year. And we see this old guy sitting on a beach, drinking wine, looking at the sunset. But, you know, Blake finishes this letter and he's freaking out and he asks the waiter, he's like, you know, who is this? Is it somebody here? And like he's sent him like the most expensive bottle of wine you can get. And this waiter is saying, you know, actually, that's the peculiar thing, Mr. Morrow. That card and the wine have been here since I started with very specific instructions. He delivered these 10 years ago.
2: That that's okay, that's the what? thing that I was like, what? <laughs> like what is? What is happening? Like how yes. did he how did he know that Chief Morrow would be at that restaurant? How how did he know that?"
0: Is it, is it leads you to believe in this this goes into the broad strokes narrative. And honestly, this ending is rad, but it's also the hardest pill to swallow. Yeah. In this. It yes! it requires the most letting go of of any skepticism you may have as a reader and just being like, okay. In, in in a way that was a very bold choice of Mark Millar, to ask you to take the biggest leap at the very end. Because to me, it's like he's gambling on the, yeah, but isn't it fucking awesome? It's like, (laughs) it is awesome. But I would have maybe liked a little bit more.
2: I'm not going to lie. The first time I read it, I was very dissatisfied. And I was like, that's how this ends? No, 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 no. And I went (laughs) back and I read it again. And I'm like zooming in on panels, like maybe there's a clue who this guy is and I should know who it is. And, and, it it is a, it is a big pill to swallow. You have to be content that you will just not know. You will just not know. And that's the story. And it's, it's not wrapped up with a bow at the end of even telling me who that mastermind is. I just have to accept that it's some aimless faceless mastermind who set this all up. (laughs) And it's, it's very diff. It, it's it's not the it's not the ending I wanted. Maybe it's the ending I needed. I don't know. <laughs>
1: well, what's what's crazy. Well, it's crazy too. Is in the I don't know if you if um if you saw it, but like the the first page after the end of the comic is basically like a paragraph saying that like they're planning on coming back with a volume two of Nemesis, but both of these guys have had so much going on that it's going to be a very long break before we get it. So, oh, interesting. Interesting. so I just I'm I just can't wait to ever find out when we're gonna get that volume two because if it's happening in the next couple of years, that'd be fucking great.
0: Yeah, and and if they do that volume two, they really need to expand upon this guy that we see at the end. Yeah, and 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 that's another one of the things that goes into this where it's like, okay, I need to either accept that this guy is so brilliant and he had studied Morrow so well for so long that he. Like a chess master, he knew what his moves would be and he was able to predict them and be there at every turn. You know, this guy that was sitting on the beach at the end thought around every single corner and planned this out over a decade in advance. Or did he have some sort of superhero ability or not superhero, but some sort of ability where he was able, you know, maybe like a, a prescience or something like that where he could see these nexus points like almost like like you know paul muadib and like dune or something like that Mm
2: -hmm. But, but yeah yeah. but we don't
0: explicitly we're led to believe that this just takes place in the real world and this you know nemesis was just rich and bored and this other guy on the beach is apparently a genius of some sort so i i would like to see that sort of stuff get flushed out in a second volume if 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 possible yeah
2: yeah, abs- yeah. Abs- absolutely. I, I want to know. And it's it's crazy because it really is that frustrating ending of just not knowing. And, and desperately, I desperately wanted to know what this guy was. <laughs> I mean, I invested half an hour only into this comic, but it wrapped <laughs> me up so much in the story that I just, I had to know. And then I didn't know. And I. And I was like, I'm supposed to like this ending? What? Like it was. <laughs> it, it was. It was tough at first. Yeah, I mean, but I, I. I mean, obviously, like this is a popular enough story that I think. I think people were okay with it. Like, I think the ending. I could see the ending growing on me. I guess that's the way to put it.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, the critical critical response to this book when it came out was not positive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh wow i wonder why <laughs>
0: <laughs> the like I, the the quotes that i read and stuff like critics were talking a lot of shit and some of it was just mean some of it was even talking shit on the art being like oh this isn't as good as what he did in old man logan it's like well it's like to the art and this was great but so i don't know i mean it could just be one of those things where maybe these were critics that are just fucking cunts (laughs) 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 but i mean we've also if you've heard me talk about enough of these books and stuff you know that that i'm not super critical on things like i tend to be pretty forgiving of a lot of things and with the with the exception of the confusion i had at the end of this book i really enjoyed it um it, it took me on a pretty good ride that it, it surprised me a lot. And, and, you know, like I said, really the only negative I took away at the end where I was kind of like, oh, why did you make the hardest thing to swallow the, like, the very last page, the last <laughs> panel almost, you know? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, a, it's, it's, it's like, a
2: bold choice on the part of the author. It's a very bold choice. Well said.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. And even though, like, it left, like, a lot of questions of how things were done. It was just like when I read through it. It was just like something I'd I'd never read anything like this before, and like I was just enjoying this ride that it was taking me on because it was just like every page I was turning. I was like, oh, I never would have thought that's gonna happen. I've never seen that. Nope, haven't seen that. What the fuck? Nope. Yep. <laughs> all this crazy shit. It's just like, all right, let's just go with it.
0: Yeah, and and I'd like to think that this wasn't like the the end all be all that Mark Millar had in mind. Because I know this dude is capable, I mean, just reading Chrono this dude is capable of writing a perfect short story, like, yeah. you know, single arc comic or whatever, miniseries. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, who knows, man? I'd, I'd love to see this take off again in the future. Um, yeah, what do you think the I- chances of that are, dude?
1: Well, it said in the back of the very final page, like if you go all the way to the very back on the uh, last issue, it says to be continued in volume 2. So, I mean, he had initially they already initially planned it when they first started. I think it's just cuz they were the stuff that they were teamed up on at the time just became so popular. Everyone wanted them after the first volume and they just can't get back to it. So, I don't know when they're going to get a chance to. I don't know what, if they're both currently writing anything right now together
0: yeah i'll have to check it out
1: i definitely want to read kick-ass now now, though after reading this (laughs) i know i've I've seen the kick-ass movie and actually surprisingly like enjoyed it
0: yeah i did too i haven't seen the second one yet but but i did enjoy the first one had you seen those rebecca
2: uh i've seen the first one
0: (laughs) what did you think of it
2: oh i loved it it's a it's a great movie uh yeah kick-ass is a lot of fun to watch um I have not seen the second one, though, either, to be honest. I I heard it was not as good.
0: That's kind of what I had heard as well.
1: Kick-Ass and Sin City were kind of, like, I had this almost like the kind of same expectations going into both of them. Like, Sin City, I didn't really like the way, like, I didn't think I would like the way that the movie was shot, like, kind of like that comic effect look to it. But then I watched it, and I was just, like, enthralled with the story and how, like, well it all worked. And then Kick Ass was kind of similar. Like I knew, like I had no clue what it was. It kind of looked like a goofy movie, but I I went with it, and it was kind of had hit me the same way. Like I didn't expect things to happen the way they were happening, and I just really enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, Yeah, Nicolas
0: Cage surprised the hell out of me in Kick Ass. (laughs)
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Matthew Vaughn directed that movie, and um, he did um, he did the the Kingsman movies as well.
1: Yeah, I like the first Kingsman movie, too.
2: I, I liked the first Kingsman movie a lot. I had a lot of fun with it. I did not enjoy the second one as much. Um, but, you know, it's that sort of very stylized look um, to the movie. So, I mean, if ever this got adapted into a film, I mean, Matthew Vaughn or that style would certainly probably fit uh, the it would fit the style of this book as well, with all the hyper violence in it.
0: Nice. Yeah, I still yeah. need to watch the Kingsman movies.
1: Yeah, I've I, only I, seen the first, and like the only thing about the first I didn't really understand maybe is just because I didn't read the comic or anything, but I didn't really like the like Samuel L. Jackson that much.
2: Yeah the uh, the choice in his the way list, his yeah
1: the list. way he the way he was talking I didn't really like it
0: all.
2: It, it, it's it, Samuel L. It
0: Jackson with a lisp?
2: Yeah. yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of right? sense to me. Like I remember seeing it in the theater, and when he first starts talking, and you're like, wait, does he have a lisp? <laughs> and it's like, it's very pronounced. Um, <laughs> it's like, I'm
0: sick and tired of being faked on this plane. It's like that. I'm except, like, he's,
1: except he says it with a more high-pitched voice
0: no
3: <laughs> he does yes you
0: know they what? deserve to die and I hope they
2: burn in hell
0: <laughs> that, that nailed it okay, <laughs> that was it
2: not, not- <laughs> That, that, that's a little South Parky, but it's... I was going to say that crazy. was
0: very Mr. Hanky. Yeah, I, know, right? I don't know. Yeah,
2: that's
0: very <laughs> This terrible impression brought to you by Strawberitas. Ooh, fuck yeah. Just looking at that very first season of
1: South Park's Christmas special now. Oh my god. <laughs> right? right.
3: No, oh, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Kyle! Yeah. Oh, ah, Kyle! Ah, Mr. Hanky! <laughs> <laughs> the turret hits Cartman <laughs> in the face. <laughs>
2: oh, God! That's so gross. You gonna do it! He's <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, wait a minute. This is, uh, wow, we were off the rails before. We're off the rails now. I was going
0: to say, at least we waited until the end <laughs> of Talking Nemesis before we went fully into the weeds,
2: right? <laughs> right When, like, Mr. Hanky's like, bouncing around, and he's leaving, like, poop stains everywhere. Oh, that's <laughs> the grossest thing ever. Oh, it's so terrible. <laughs> is,
0: is that later on in the series where it's the... The episode where it's like um, Sundance has come to South Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Mr. Hankey you now has a family, and his one son is like partially retarded because he's got like a piece of corn sticking out of his head. His name's Corn Wallace. <laughs>
2: he has got his son Cornwallis, and I forget what the daughter's <laughs> name is. And his wife is a drunk and abusive.
0: And- She's <laughs> <laughs> like pure
2: you always so like telling people you want to see my tits and he's like those aren't real <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: just, it's just
1: so stupid do you remember the episode where Cartman
0: acts like Jennifer Lopez is in his oh mouth calls her Jennifer Lopez is that the one where he's like his hand is Jennifer Lopez he's like my taco flavored kisses <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. He's like, guys, all the Ben Affleck spooge
2: Wait, wait, but then Ben shows up and he's like, he thinks that Cartman's hand is Jennifer Lopez. Yes. <laughs>
1: and then Cartman, the very end, like, it's fucking with Kyle the whole time. <laughs>
2: Oh my God. What is happening right now? <laughs> like uh, like okay. on <laughs>
0: <laughs> We've got all our nemesis points across, so if they stuck around this
2: <laughs> true. If you stuck around this long, folks, this, this is this bonus is material stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the good stuff here. This is this is Joe on too many straw <laughs> Exactly. <laughs>
0: Oh, Rod was gosh. trying to get me to drink four Locos before ep- tonight's episode so okay so he's the pusher here. <laughs> I haven't had a
1: four Locos since college and I was like dude how fun would it be to just both drink one and just try to fucking podcast and see what happens. <laughs> so I'm like I would die? <laughs> I didn't get one but I would <laughs> want to
2: I've never had a four, four Locos never.
1: Guaranteed blackout
2: Oh jeez oh. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I'll tell you what, for for listeners, if you've never heard the Tales from the Yard episode where Scott Shooty and his son Austin get absolutely <laughs> wasted during an episode and David more or less just babysits them over Skype, it is one of the most wonderful
2: things ever. <laughs> that, episode, that episode will go down in podcast history as one of the funniest episodes I have ever listened to I was at the gym trying to work out and listen and I had to I had to stop because I was laughing so hard because Scott I mean you'll hear it on the show like if you listen to it Scott in his drunken stupor starts talking about drawing the alphabet when you're giving <laughs> That's a right <laughs> like wow <"Whoa." laughs> I totally forgot about that wow and that that episode is um, special
1: yeah yeah i think that episode and then i could i remember i was laughing so hard at work when i listened to the episode at the end when luther fell asleep <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that PCL was like, episode was. I was like oh, it was legendary.
1: I was like, no way. I was like, no way. I was like, is this really happening? I was like, how long is
0: Brian gonna let this go on? I wonder. <laughs> oh my god! It was like a little over thirty minutes of the episode. You could just yeah. lightly hear him snoring in the background. Hilarious!
2: Oh, hilarious! That uh, was amazing. Oh my gosh! Hilarious! Oh my word! <laughs> I've only had one beer because I anticipated Joe indulging in strabarita. So I wanted to be <laughs> I wanted to be somewhat in control of myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's Friday. That's true. <laughs> it's right. a long work true. week. <laughs> it was.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh,
0: this was a lot of fun. That's hard.
1: Rebecca, are you reading either um, Southern Bastards or Redneck right now?
2: I am not reading either of those titles. Um, uh, one of them, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> one of them, he's like, we're not friends anymore. Um, w- one of them is about vampires or something, right?
1: Yeah, that's Redneck.
2: Yeah, I'm not a huge vampire fan.
1: Either am uh, I, but the way Donny Cates writes it, um, it's pretty fucking great
0: it's like the fact that they're vampires is almost secondary to the story yeah
1: they're more like just like redneck like southern like and yeah Mm it's just the fact that they're vampire but they don't like go out trying to like eat people and so they try living like normal people so like they have someone like during the day they have to stay inside their farm house basically and they have like a couple people to like go and get them food and stuff um until nighttime when they can be outside again and shit
2: interesting yeah i mean i've heard nothing but like people rave about how good both of those series are um yeah i've just kind of stayed away from it because like i said i'm just i'm not the biggest fan of like vampires and stuff so i hadn't really gotten into it at all
3: yeah
1: we could be getting something pretty crazy happening to an image with uh these coming up issues
0: yeah potentially <laughs> yeah i really ho- like, i really yeah. hope
3: so <laughs> <laughs>
2: Do either of you read um, Killer Be Killed?
0: I read the very first issue. I bought it as like a image first for like a dollar one, uh-huh. and I really liked it. But I haven't picked up the trade yet. It's it's been on my list forever.
2: Oh okay, yeah. I h- how about you, Rod? Uh,
0: I have it. I have
1: like on my list to get as like some of my trades once I get through them. But that's one I know you've told me about
0: multiple yeah. times. That I should read.
2: Dude, Do you want to like, like
0: give a brief description of what that title is?
2: Yeah. So Killer Be Killed is written by Ed Brubaker, who wrote one of my favorite Marvel storylines. He wrote the Winter Soldier storyline, which the, was the basis of the movie uh, Winter Soldier. Um, in this story, in, the, in this book, Killer Be Killed, we are introduced to a character who um, actually, you know what? Do you want to hit pause for a second? I'll grab my book.
0: Yeah, no problem. We will just uh, take a quick break here. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. So yeah, uh, kill or be killed.
2: So, kill or be killed is um, it's written by Ed Brubaker. And it's uh, drawn by Sean Phillips and Elizabeth brightweiser Th- This is a, this is a, an image comic book. It's been coming out since oh gosh, last year I believe, and it's it's an issue a month. So actually, it's been coming out since August 2016, and it's still going. Um, so that's that's pretty cool. The main idea of this book is there's this kid who we're introduced to this college kid who his life is pretty his life is not great you know he is he doesn't really have a girlfriend um he has a messed up relationship with his family the kid's name is Dylan um his his best friend who's a girl starts dating his roommate um and then you know him and 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 his best friend they kind of have a little They kind of cheat on the boyfriend and they have a a fling and this, this kid, but this kid is like really depressed. He's on antidepressive medication. Um, So he's not, he's not great. Um, One night it all gets to him. He goes up on the roof of his apartment building and he decides he's going to end it all. He's going to jump off the roof and he's going to end his life. So he, at the last second um he decides like oh no i i don't want to do this i i i want to live but it's been snowing and he slips on this um on the icy edge and he starts to fall off the roof anyway he gets tangled up in some like um what's the word like a uh, clotheslines and so he he does fall but he he doesn't die he just messes up his arm now the next day when he wakes up is, uh, excuse me, not, not the next day, that night he's visited by a demon in his room. And the demon says to him, you owe me a life. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you were supposed to die tonight on that rooftop and you didn't. So now you owe me a life. And he says to him that you have to, you've been given a second chance and to pay for this second chance, you have to kill one person a month. And this is an ongoing deal, which has to happen. And if he does not do it, then the demon will come and claim his life. Um, And of course, you know, at first he's like, Oh, this is just a hallucination. This can't be real. Um, you know, I, I just must be like having post-traumatic stress disorder. But now as, as the month comes, starts to come to a close, Dylan starts to feel, he, he starts to feel really sick and, um, and he realizes like, oh my gosh, like it's at the end of the month. I have to kill somebody, uh, or else I'm going to die. And so what happens is, uh, at the end of the book, he actually does end up committing a murder. He does kill somebody and his life is extended another month. Now, the thing is that, so, you know, at first he starts out like, oh my God, how can I do this? How can I kill a person a month? Like, this is terrible. But then he starts to do investigations into like child pornographer people, um, uh, uh, rapists, other people who commit homicides. And he realizes that if he goes after these bad guys, well, then what he's doing is not that terrible. And that's how he kind of rationalizes it. Now, as the story goes along, killing becomes a little easier each time and he gets wrapped. But now of course the NYPD is investigating the string of homicides. Like who's killing all of these people. We have some kind of a vigilante on our hands. And so the story is about him trying to stay alive the NYPD closing in on whoever this vigilante is, but then he's still got this ongoing thing with his best friend uh, who he slept with a couple of times. Now it's a really good story. It's a really, really good story. Ed Brubaker uh, just writes these big portions of like inner monologue that's going on in Dylan's head And it's so well written and the artwork is beautiful. I I really recommend this book. If you're really into like kind of messed up stories about people who are a little messed up, I I think it's a really good book to pick up. It's ongoing, but the, there, it is out in trade as well. So uh, it comes out one issue a month. They're up to issue, I believe 15. So if you wanted to get the trade, you could do that too. It's uh, it's I, I just think it's really worth it, especially as I said, I'm a big fan of Ed Brubaker's work on the winter soldier storyline.
0: And the the trade on Amazon's like eight ninety-eight.
2: Yeah, it's it's really reasonable. And um, I, I mean the the way that the story really starts to play out, because the kid is determined to just kill people who he thinks are who he thinks deserve it. So he runs into situations where he starts to almost enjoy the killing, and that scares him, because at first it was like a necessity, like, I have to do this, but now it's almost something that he's enjoying doing, and it becomes like, well, doesn't that make me a bad person if I'm enjoying this Thing i have to do um is it is it worth this second chance that um that i've been given and along the way he finds out all these like stuff about his family and his dad and um it's just it's so well it's so well done i really can't praise it enough i, I recommend it to a lot of people because i think it's worth reading that sounds awesome
1: i'm yeah. definitely gonna check that out yes yeah, sounds super intriguing
2: yeah, yeah, I, I know. I've rambled on about it a long time already, but yeah, if uh, <laughs> if, if you can, yeah, I mean, I really think again, killer kill be killed. Image Comics, written by Ed Brubaker, I I can't recommend it enough.
0: The no, art is really cool in it too.
2: It is. It's it's got that. Uh, some of it is very pulp fiction ish, and some looks very real life. Um, like really well done. Like like port like portraits of people. Um. Yeah, so the art is, is beautiful.
0: That is super, super cool. Um, God, you know, and I'm kicking myself too because I remember I put that on my Amazon list a long time ago and I'm thinking it was like in the $6 price range at one point. <laughs> so I'm like, God mm-hmm. damn it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that always the way though? Like you put something in the cart and it's like, a good price and then you leave it alone for a while and then it's like oh there's been a price increase in that thing in your cart it's like "Ah." (laughs) (laughs) of course
0: right (laughs) and um rod i know you've been tripping out over uh men of wrath lately do you want to like give like a kind of a brief uh synopsis or whatever that is
1: yeah so i mean like the way i explained it to you is it basically was a mix of southern bastards and john wick Um, it's written by Jason Aaron and he started it around the same time that he did Southern bastards. So I definitely got the same feel and it's in the, it's in Texas, I believe. So it's down the South. Um, but you're basically just introduced to this older, um, fellow who ends up basically, he's almost like a higher, um, like a hired assassin type type person. You see a really fucked up situation happen the very beginning of the, of the first issue to let you know, like how, cold hearted this guy is and you just get taken on a ride where you get introduced to his family and how the people that he's working with and the whole interaction that happens with them. And then the way it ties up at the end is just a very cool, good way. I think for a five issue series.
0: Nice. Yeah. And I've got this trade and I've read that first disturbing bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it uh, it doesn't
1: it doesn't get any like I think that's kind of like one of the craziest parts when it comes to like shocking like stuff like that like it doesn't get any darker I don't think than that. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I'll definitely be following that one up too. Yeah, it's Uh, it's
1: a pretty quick read because
0: there's like a lot of there's a lot of like action panels in some of the sections. Um. Yeah, and I haven't done too much for reading trades lately. I've been more just kind of keeping up with my poll list. Um, I had a heavy, last week was pretty heavy. And so, I mean, I've read a lot of good ones. I'm current on Southern Bastards and uh, Birthright and Redneck right now. And those have all been so damn good. Have you read Birthright, Rebecca?
2: No, don't judge me. I haven't read Birthright. Uh, I
1: know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, Joe, what do you think about the fact that now that the Birthright's been bought for a movie?
0: That is going to be very interesting. Um, yeah. I, I hope they treat it well. I, I hope they take it seriously. And it, it is one of those ones to where I would be interested to see how they handle it in a movie. Because, I mean, we are nearly 30 issues into the comic right now. And I, I don't know if I could really base a movie off of what I've seen in the comic unless you do a lot of condensing. And and you jump ahead of where Joshua Williamson is at right now in the story. Um, yeah, I I I really do think that Birthright might be better served as a TV series, and it would have to be so like like I think like FX and stuff could do it because there's really not too much super fucked up stuff in in yeah. Birthright, but it, it would be cool to see it more as as something that was you know maybe even on Hulu or or Amazon or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think they could tell the story better, especially if they want to try to follow it closely to the comic it'd be much easier to do it as a series where you could almost do like each trade is almost a series of the show. Yeah. Or a season um, of the show.
0: And cuz Rebecca, one of the things that's interesting about Birthright is as you read the trades, they they don't really feel like real complete story arcs. You can kind of argue that it might be like a light story arc, but really they all go together so well that it really more feels like one big story.
2: Oh, okay. That's
1: cool. Yeah, like you get like a little bit of one answer, but then you get introduced to a whole new question, it seems like, at the end of story arcs. So it kind of all just blends into one large story arc. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And the trades are unique in that you, unless you've read the, read the individual issues, you can't tell because they don't put breaks in. It, it reads like one big giant comic book.
2: Oh wow, that's oh that's that's different.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: Cool.
0: That's that's been a really good one though. <laughs>
1: well, what's great though, like for I'm just like more happy for Joshua Williamson because like now at this point, since it's being made into a movie, depend. I mean, it doesn't even matter at this point if they do a good or, like if they do a horrible job making a movie, you're just gonna get all these people saying, "Well, you need to read the comic because it's incredible." So it's going to get more publicity as a comic that way. And then if it ends up being a great movie, then it's also going to get more publicity because everyone's going to want to read the comic because the movie's blowing up. Yeah. I'll be like, what happened with Walking Dead? Mm
0: -hmm. That's right.
2: Yeah, Uh, that's a good example, too, about Walking Dead. Because wasn't it a comic first before it became a TV show?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, for quite a while.
2: Yeah. Yeah. has been going...
1: What, like 16? No. It's been going since around 2000, hasn't it? Walking Dead.
0: Yeah, it's been going for a really long time. I mean, it's like 176 issues in now or something like that.
1: Yeah, and if they were only putting out an issue a month, that's at least... What? So 10 years would be 120 issues. So they're like 13 or 14 issues seasons in. Or series, yeah, years. Damn. That's insane.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's, it's so tough, like to, I feel like adapting a comic or really adapting any written word, whether it be comic or novel or, or graphic novel, like to the visual can be so difficult because, you know, in, in a, in a comic book, you can add in so much exposition as far as like what characters are thinking, you know, you have your thought bubbles, um, and and it and it makes sense and it it helps you understand the story but to then put that on screen you have to put that you have to give that exposition through dialogue and don't want to weigh down your movie with like a ton of dialogue but you want to you want to be able to explain the plot to your audience and sometimes it can be very hard to do that to satisfy the comic readers and then to also satisfy maybe new viewers who are not familiar with the source material
0: yeah that's very true i mean it it takes a deft hand to really adapt it the right way Mm -hmm. use the right cinematography and definitely you gotta have a tight screenplay I mean, we've seen that just with, like, the DCU movies. (laughs) Oh,
2: yeah, absolutely. Like, Or, like, even, like, we were talking earlier about Civil War being adapted from a comic to to a movie. Yeah, they had to make changes to fit with the MCU storyline that we've been given up until now. And then, you know, leaving out certain characters that they can't, they don't have rights to use, etc. But I felt like they did a pretty darn good job of keeping the core story, but translating it. Into the visual medium to satisfy the comic readers and then to satisfy the moviegoers as well. Um, yeah, like it, it, it sometimes it like makes me nervous when they talk about adapting like comics into like movies and TV because it's like, oh, but you gotta do it right. Like, don't fuck it up because it's so good. Like, the source material is so good. Like, just don't mess it up.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what worries me about them talking about trying to adapt sa- uh, Saga. It's like you mm. can't fucking.
2: I don't know.
1: Oh wow. Yeah, that'd be really hard to do.
2: I I would be like, as some much stuff's just would,
1: meant to stay a book or a comic. So some stuff does not need to be made into a movie.
2: Yeah, like as much as I would love, like the idea of that on screen, like to see all of that. Dude, I I don't know if they could do it right. It's just, it's such a, it's such a fantastical story. It really has to, it would have to appeal to the masses to make a profit. How do you do that? Do you water down your story? Do you, do you tone down the weird television head sex? Like, what do you do? (laughs) What do you do to like get people to watch this thing? It's, oh, it's
0: crazy. <laughs> I'm just looking at my Lion <laughs> Cat statue that I just got in the mail today too.
2: Ah, like, that's is, You, nice you petting him?
0: That <laughs> <laughs> was across the room. I just admire <laughs> from afar. <laughs> but um, what's funny is that when I was looking at it earlier, when I took it out of the box and I started thinking, I'm like, you know, if we had this in live action, what would Lion Cat's voice be like? I'm like, I don't even know if I want to know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well that's the thing it's like when we look when you when people read a book i mean you get your own your imagination takes over so you kind of visually make like a character or ce- scenarios and stuff look a certain way in your head and then when you see it portrayed a different way on screen you usually get bummed and then when you read a comic you've already been presented with the visuals that you don't you don't get in a real book so then you already know what you like at this point. So then if they don't do it exactly like that, you're disappointed.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's a, that that's a really valid point. Rod is, you know, it, in comics, you you are, you are given the artist's vision of what the writer is expressing. And, and we, I'm sure like from like Twitter, we, we know how closely those writers and artists work together to bring this vision to life. To then put it on screen, uh, how do you, how do you translate that when it's already been shown to you visually, you know, and, and you as the comic book reader, you walk into those movies with so many expectations, you know, we, we were just talking last night on, um, about, uh, Gotham by Gaslight, that, um, animated movie and, Uh, They were saying how like in in the graphic novel, it was very steampunk, like um, Batman has these steampunk goggles and in the movie, he doesn't have them. And so the person was he was expressing how he was a little disappointed because in his mind, he already had that visual. And then to see it not given to him on the screen. It's disappointing because you already have that in your head of what you're expecting to see.
0: Yeah, that's a letdown, especially on a Batman one like if they're going to do such an iconic Elseworlds story, like why would they make those changes? That's And and I would go through these same things with Saga. Like it, it, the every deviation they make just cuz the source material is so close. I'm so close to it. Like I I I hold it in such high regard to where it's like fuck, maybe it'd be better to not not mess with Saga. Just let that be a comic. Yeah.
2: I hear that. Yeah, I I I think yeah, I I think I'm I'm with you on that one. Oh, well,
0: um, I don't know. I, I don't really have anything else. <laughs>
2: <laughs> go get some more straw burritos. We could probably keep going for a couple months.
0: <laughs> I know. I wish i had been like more up on like trades recently, so I would <laughs> have one to more go on about. <laughs> I know I've um I've been having a lot of fun like kind of keeping up this schedule with the podcast, but it has cut into my comic reading.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, you've been cranking them out, man.
2: Dude, I'm like five episodes behind. Like, <laughs> I'm like oh my god, another one!
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. Your, I know. Does your
2: wife remember what you look like? I mean, she seen <laughs> you lately?
0: <laughs> well, for the most part, you know, I've been doing them all in the evening, so like everybody else is asleep.
2: Oh, and then what's okay. funny is
0: I'll like go out in the hallway and the box fan out there will be on high because <laughs> 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 it's like they can hear me back here laughing and talking all loud when they're trying to sleep <laughs> probably. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but um, but no, for the most part it's been going kind of cool. Um, you know, after the first of the year I had this idea that you know, what, like one of the inspirations for StarkCast was, um, I would listen to a lot of Joe Rogan experience and that's kind of similar to what this show is and that it's just it's just a long form conversation you know i mean some of them like 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 tonight's episode with the comic talk and stuff it tends to be a little bit more structured but a, a lot of my episodes they'll just go wherever and like one of the things that rogan does is like he'll put out a shitload of episodes a week and so i always had this idea in my mind like okay it'd be kind of fun to see what that schedule's like and mhm And it's been fun, but I'm pretty sure that especially when we go into this new podcast that, you know, the three of us are going to be doing with Brian with number one comic books, um, will just drop down to just two episodes a week, like at most would be Mm -hmm. like a solo episode and like a group episode. And, um, you know, I mean, my, my love of comics isn't going anywhere. I read so many books that. And also, me and Rod have had so many conversations about different books that we wanted to. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and so, yeah, Rod's gonna be along on the ride for like quite a few of the comic cat or the comic. I almost call it Comic Cast, <laughs> Comic Talk episodes. <laughs> this
2: is this is kind of the Comic Cast. Don't tell Jordan. somewhere <laughs> Jordan's
0: like, what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs>
2: His uh, his uh, Spidey sense just went off, and he was like, "Someone's talking about comics <laughs> about
0: me." <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I mean, for right now, it's 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 been a lot of fun. But but I am noticing some things where it's like, yeah, it, it, the schedule is gonna slow down, and this has just kind of been a fun experiment. That you know, I kept up for throughout pretty much a lot of January, so. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah. If if my podcast app is to be believed, you sure did because I've got like four Starcast episodes piled up, and I'm like, oh well, all right, Joe, it's calm down. I'm gonna have to get to this later, but I will listen to them all. But
0: <laughs> it's it's been fun though, and um, it's awesome. and yeah, t- I mean, tonight has been no different. I mean. This has been great. I get to talk about a crazy book with two of my favorite people. So, um, this has well, been thanks, awesome.
2: Thanks for letting me crash your party. This was a lot of fun. I had a great time.
0: Yeah. yeah <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm
1: fucking glad we all could talk about this.
0: Yes. Yes. It was so much fun. Oh, like. I don't know, we had a lot of fun last night. (laughs) I I can't believe we went off the rails and talked about Mr. Hankey.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then,
0: um, what else did I bring up? Maverick.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'd already forgotten that. I don't know
0: if I'd forgotten that or blocked it out.
2: I think you blocked it out, Joe. Like, Maverick. Oh, God. Ah, I'm a maverick. (laughs) I always think about Sarah Palin. Oh, God, Paul, I think about Sarah Palin. I can see Russia from
0: my house. Oh, my gosh. Now I'm trying to think. What did I see where there was like a possibility of time travel and they say something about President Palin? (laughs) Oh, God. Was that in Crononauts, maybe? I think so. It might have been in Chrononauts. They were checking to make sure everything was okay, (laughs) and they're like, "Don't even joke about that or something." For
3: real, for real, don't joke
2: about that.
0: My word, craziness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to not get drugged to talk about politics. No, (laughs) I'm like, run away, Joe, run away.
1: (laughs) Did did, uh, did Murphy write and draw Chrononauts, or just draw it? I, I'm pretty sure Mark Bellar wrote, wrote it. it. Okay, and then Who is would Murphy... this whole
0: episode of me saying that wrong, I'm gonna feel like an in
1: idiot. <laughs> well, then is I'm thinking is Murphy writing and drawing? Then White Knight? Yes. Okay, yes. that's what. Okay, that's why I mixed up. I couldn't remember <laughs> if he had, if, which one he did his own on or if he did them both on his own.
2: No, no. White White Knight is all Murphy. He's drawing and writing.
1: Yeah, it's pretty fucking good.
2: Oh yeah, it, it's very good. Hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> crazy batman book <laughs> right that'll so be a crazy. fun one to cover at some point when it's awesome it makes... though
1: because it's just an eight issue
0: miniseries or is it eight or nine issues i think eight so i think five is the next one coming out yeah
2: yeah it's it's pretty limited which is nice um i mean even even doomsday clock is limited it's um but it's gonna take forever <laughs> i know it is gonna take forever but then you know we've got dark knight's metal and then once that wraps up um, I'm sure you guys know that um, um, Greg Greg Capullo. Wait, is it Capullo or Snyder? Which one is, is jumping on Snyder? Okay, uh, he's jumping on Justice League. He's going to write the Justice League books, which I would be persuaded to buy the Justice League comics, <laughs> which I haven't really read any. So if he's going to be on it, I see myself buying the Justice League <laughs> books and 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 reading those.
0: This uh newest arc of it would be worth picking up maybe just in trade at some point, but it's uh Christopher Priest has been writing it and he's the oh, guy who's nice. been doing Death Stroke. Yeah and yeah. that's been really good.
2: Yeah, like there's yeah, I, I think I would pick it up in trade because I just you know, I, I just recently went through like my pull list and I cut a lot of books out. Um mm-hmm. Because it's just it just gets too expensive. I mean let's yeah, just keep I it agree. real. Like yeah. it just gets too expensive. So I cut a bunch out. Um and I'm just I'm I'm not really picking up any new ones that are not image, to be completely frank. I'm not I because it's just I would rather spend my money on a new number one image book than a number one Marvel or D C book. Um just because I know that those Marvel DC runs are going to be 30 plus issues.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's harder to commit to Marvel and DC unless you're already like a huge super fan from the start. Mm -hmm. There's just so much fucking history in it. And on the one hand, I can appreciate those books that, that have that history and that staying power and they've been around for a long time, but there's just something that's so, fresh and and fun with image books
2: oh yeah because not all of the image books are the cape and cowl books like it's fun to read superhero books like i'm not gonna lie i enjoy reading a good batman story i enjoy reading a good i'm i'm still picking up wonder woman issue to issue like that's that one i'm collecting um and it's Darn good. Uh it's really good. And I enjoy those superhero stories, but then it's fun to pick up a non superhero story and read that in comics as well. And that's where image really excels because they're not locked in to superhero books at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that like the most like recent, like when I was catching up on my pull list and reading like my back comics, I mean I went from reading a title like Redneck to Paper Girls to Southern Bastards, to Birthright. Like, these are all completely different stories. Right. Like, not all superhero-based or anything, like, completely different. One's about football. One's about, I mean, you got, like, time travel involved. Like, they're all different, unique stories, and they're all incredible stories. Like, they have such great writers on all of them.
2: hmm Yeah, it's absolutely true. Yeah, I mean, Image is just, like... I mean you guys know I don't have to tell you guys but it, it, Image is amazing and and they've really they've really given an opportunity to art for artists to really work on their own stuff and not have it be owned by the company you know cuz like if you work for DC or Marvel your stuff is it it's your stuff but it's not really your stuff so like you know perfect example Brian Michael Bendis you know he he left Marvel he went to DC he can't bring those storylines with him because those are Marvel stories. He can't, he can't bring the defenders with him. He can't bring, um, um, iron with him, which is he's, he, he's writing the current, um, iron man run with, uh, well, he was with Riri Williams. He can't bring them with him. So he has to leave those characters behind and now do new stories with different characters. And if he ever leaves DC, he's got to leave those characters there too. So, but with image, you know, if you if you leave image, you can do whatever you want because it's your character.
0: Yeah, that creator owned aspect of image is, I mean, it's a it's a beautiful part of their business model, and it's mm-hmm. really you know, I mean, if you watch that documentary on the the image revolution, they they built that into it from the start because they were all disgruntled Marvel and DC yeah. employees. Yeah, <laughs> Ab-
2: absolutely. Yeah, I, I you have 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 you guys both seen that? Um, that documentary, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, watched it a couple times. Too. It's great. It's yeah, so love it. good. And I I do love that it was kind of it was started by, uh, by those disgruntled fans. But you know, some of the best stuff in pop culture has come about that way. You know, like even the movie studio United Artists, that that was started by people like Charlie Chaplin and Mary Pickford back when they were tired of being locked into contracts by these by these mega like 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 RKO and and stuff like they would be locked into contracts and they couldn't do any other film but for the studio that they worked for so they created United Artists to make their own film studio and and produce their own movies and it it revolutionized the way people thought about movies and who could make them and who could produce them and look where we are now you're not you're not tied to your television. You don't you don't have to watch what, you know, CBS offers you if you don't want to. Go on Netflix and watch there. Go on Hulu and watch there. You know, it's it's a it's a complete revolution to how we read and watch stuff, and I think it's super cool.
0: You can almost look at that as being fractal among a whole lot of different human endeavors also. I mean, let, just compare that to beers. You know, mm. you get a lot of these startups making craft beers and it's like, oh, these are really good and tasty, but they're not doing the volumes of like the bigger ones like, you know, Anheuser-Busch and, and Miller and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. God, I wonder if that's just something that goes across the human nature, if there's something that that we can't help but love about something that's smaller and, and, and feels a little bit. More homey, maybe. I, mean, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but it's like almost it's like, like a rooting for the story. underdog. That's yeah. what I was just saying, dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I stumble over my stupid words. <laughs> I,
1: I think it'd be really cool, too, if, because um, I mean, I, I think it was like a, it was that image documentary it was like three or four years ago that they did it. It'd be cool if they did a like a a newer one, and they had more interviews with some of the current writers on Image titles. Like you had like a Joshua Williamson, or you had Ed Brubaker, and some of these like them commenting about like their their work with Image and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, that's uh, yeah that that would be interesting. Like kind of to revisit Image years later and see and see what the newer voices are saying about working with Image.
1: Yeah, because basically like, they ca- they stopped that documentary about the time that Walking Dead got turned into a TV show.
2: Oh, like, yeah, that's a while ago for sure. Yeah. yeah,
0: You know, I would love to hear what Joshua Williamson's take is on because he's been getting more and more involved like quite successfully with DC. And when you look at his flashbooks, which are great, they've been really entertaining runs so far but when you look at his flash books and then you look at his image books, they look remarkably different. Whereas a lot of the layouts between, you compare Ghosted and Nailbiter and Birthright and Frostbite, they they all look kind of similar in the way that they're laid out with the way that the panels are structured and everything. But when you look at the flash and you read that, it is completely different. And so I'm wondering what sort of, what differences go into the process when you're doing a book and laying it out? Is there a lot more input on the layouts of these? And that's why the, why the flash looks so different from other ones, or is he just doing something different because he's got more resources at his disposal. And so he can ask for a lot crazier layouts. I'm curious as to that.
2: Mm. Yeah. That's That's a really good question, Joe. Like that's, I mean like my, my sort of knee jerk reaction would be like, Oh, I'm sure he's under, a bigger microscope and under under the thumb so to speak of the bigger companies but that might not be true like it could just be here's a whole lot more money joshua williamson now go do your thing and and it could just be <laughs> as simple as that but yeah that's a that's a really interesting question
1: yeah and i've noticed like me and joe have talked about like we've noticed like there's been some um, like he'll, he almost has like a certain kind of panel structure. That's almost signature to him between, um, like a nail biter. You see it. And also you see it in birthright where he does like a, a two page splash where like the top four fifths of it are, is one big panel. And then there's like four small panels underneath that going across the bottom. And he did that multiple times in the nail biter and he's done it a handful of times in birthright as well.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and you almost never she, see layouts like that in the Flash though.
1: Yeah, you never see those layouts in any other comic really except his. Like I don't that's the only time I've ever kind of seen that type of layout.
0: Like it it almost makes me wonder if like you know when you see like behind the scenes things where like a band is small and they're doing awesome and then they get into the studio of like finally like they're signed to a big label And then all of a sudden some like slick producers coming in and be like, no, you got to do it like this and this to make it super cool. Like, does that sort of shit happen at DC and Marvel?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I feel I mean, I feel like it would uh, only because like, okay, so like, for example, if if I'm writing Supergirl, right, and joe you're writing superman and rod you're writing the flash right we I, I can't write in my supergirl book how the flash dies and then it's like well uh no the flash doesn't die in my book the flash is alive in my book and i would imagine dc has certain threads that they have their artists like at least on the same page is like all right here's where we're going with this character you know so you guys have to kind of keep the continuity to a degree within this, you know, circle of limitation. I I'm just guessing, but I would imagine it has to be some kind of control like that. Yeah. Like
0: how many chefs are in the kitchen? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you, you can't deny that like DC, as far as like comics go, I think they are killing it over Marvel. Oh yeah. I, I oh, mean, yeah. they really, really are. <laughs> I, the only the only things Marvel I was reading, and people kind of shit on it, but I enjoyed Secret Empire. Um, oh, I thought yeah, it was, I did, too. I it, I've heard people like talk shit about it, saying it wasn't great. And I'm like, are you serious? I enjoyed Secret Empire. I get people are mad about the whole Captain America thing. And he's not really a Nazi. Spoilers, everybody. It was a whole Cosmic Cube Red Skull thing. All right, calm down, everybody. Yeah, Steve and Rogers. they work it out. Yeah, they work it up. out. Steve Rogers is not a Nazi. He'll never be a Nazi because he's Steve Rogers. Um, so, but I loved the storyline of Secret Empire. I thought it was a great, I thought it showed his his ability to to like strategize, even though he was doing bad stuff. Like he was, he was strategizing smart about how to keep like all the cosmic people out of earth so he could do his thing. I thought that was pretty good. I thought uh, the current Iron Fist is pretty darn good as well. Um, and um, Iron Heart, which Brian Michael Bendis was writing, you know, it's it's, it's she she's the new Iron Man. That storyline, though, was so it's so good. Um, I, I actually would really recommend picking that one up and trade, especially if you have a daughter. Um, I, I think that would be good because she's a really great. Character Riri Williams is, is a – and I would love to see her show up after Avengers 4. If they kill off Tony Stark, I would love to see her character introduced as the new Iron Man.
0: That would be super cool.
2: And the, yeah. way, the way that the book is written is Tony is currently in a coma. But he, of course because he's Tony, he put his consciousness into an AI – And he sent the AI off to help Riri. So basically, Tony Stark is the voice in her suit, um, which is hilarious because it's Tony. And um, so you could still work in Robert Downey Jr. Like you could still have your RDJ and you could have Riri. You know, I'm just saying, Marvel, you could do that in the movies too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I would love to see that. I'm so pumped for these Infinity War movies. Yes. God, they're gonna be good,
2: <laughs> guys. Black Panthers in two weeks.
1: That's what I was just gonna say. I oh, know that's gonna be two awesome weeks. too. Two
2: weeks. It is ah, oh, it's crazy. I have my IMAX tickets. They're sitting right here on my dining room table. I cannot wait for Black Panther. I, I mean those those initial reactions and reviews were so good. Oh, with the level of technology coming out of Wakanda,
0: like those i mean this has the real potential to be super fantastic in 3d i'm jealous that you can see it in imax i'd, I'd have to drive like over two hours and that's not oh bad. gosh yeah
2: yeah I, <laughs> I mean i'll be totally frank is i i almost never spend the money for imax because i'm so darn cheap but i did see star wars in imax and i was so blown away by how good it looked i was like Dang, I, I got to start seeing movies in IMAX like it's so good. <laughs> it's
1: yeah. so good. Yeah, I saw Star Wars in um 70mm and it was pretty insane. Nice. I mean, I'll, I'll definitely go see um uh Infinity War in IMAX, maybe even 3D, I don't know.
2: I I'll definitely see Infinity War in IMAX like
1: that. Yeah, that's like you got to see it on that. But I just don't know if like there's very few movies that I've ever really wanted to see in 3D. The only Marvel movie I wanted to see in 3D was Doctor Strange.
2: Mm, okay, and it I was did, pretty sweet. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I heard that like that was like amazing in 3D. I, I actually didn't see Doctor Strange in the theater. I saw that one at home. Um, Same here. Yeah, but I thought the story was still good enough. Like I, I enjoyed the story. Um, I liked Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange personally. Um, I thought he did a pretty good job. Um, yeah, yeah. It was. I'm excited. I, I...
1: Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see how he interacts in the Infinity War movie with everyone.
2: Oh my God, that movie's going to be insane, you guys! Like that movie is going to be crazy.
1: Because I loved the interaction that we got with Paul Rudd in Civil War when he met Captain America, and then like that was fucking great. Like wow. I hope we get some type of great interaction with, um, with Doctor Strange and one of the characters just right off the bat.
2: Yeah, it'd be awesome.
0: Speaking of Paul Rudd, have you guys watched the Ant Ant Man and the Wasp trailer? I did. I didn't. I thought yet. it looked pretty good.
2: You know, I don't I it looked good. I, I, I was not super excited by it though. Um I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. Um like it looked good, but it didn't look amazing. And maybe it's because the first first movie was kind of like meh for me, like very middle of the road. Maybe I, I feel like I, my, my expectations are lowered. I, I don't know. It's, um, I mean, I'll still go see it. It's like, I'm not going to see it. I see all these movies, but, um, I don't know. I, I, how, how, what did you think Joe? Like, 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 like were you pumped? Like, Oh, I can't wait to see this movie. I was because I
0: really liked the first one. Okay. Like the, the first one, like I, I, I could have done for a slightly better villain. Than, what was it? Darren Cross, mm-hmm. but but I loved Michael Douglas in it. Um, I, I liked the whole story. I'm a huge fan of Paul Rudd. Um, I know some people were kind of annoyed with like his his Latino buddy that like did all the <laughs> <Yeah>. Michael Pena. <laughs>
3: yes, yeah. yes.
0: I know some people were kind of annoyed with that. I've, I I I enjoyed him. Like I I know people. I've met people like that in my life, and so I was like, I know this guy. <laughs> And so I liked it.
2: You know, for me, like, I, I didn't mind Michael Pena. It's just much like, at least for me, Guardians 2, the jokes were like one joke too many. I, I saw one too many times Michael Pena with his This Is What Happened story. And I was just like, uh-huh. oh, are we really doing this again? Oh, my <laughs> God.
0: Like, <laughs> I get people's gripes on it. I really do. And especially yeah. with the promise that, you know, it, it could have been an Edgar Wright film. And and how much different would that have been? Because that would have been an amazing movie. It really would have.
2: Yeah. I, and I mean, not for nothing, but I think Marvel has learned a lot of lessons about how they treat their directors because, you know, they lost Edgar Wright and then baby driver came out and it was this incredible movie. And it was like, dang, you know, Ant-Man could have been something spectacular. And, And they didn't want to relinquish control. And I think that they learned a a lesson there. And um, I think that going forward, you're going to see like a lot more James Gunn type stuff where they're going to give the director a lot more leeway to kind of do what they want to do. As long as they hit certain points and keep it within, you know, the universe, I think that they're going to give them a lot more leeway.
0: You'd think that they're going to have to do some sort of, like evolutionary step just to keep audiences engaged because there's been you know talk of the superhero fatigue and all that, but I mean, F- Kevin Feige makes it sound like you know hey we've we've got still a lot of stuff planned out
2: i mean he's he's talking about twenty plus movies on on the docket yeah like that are planned, and like like the outline is there, and <clears throat> I mean. I, I think it's only natural that superhero fatigue will kick in. I mean, you can't you can't have a bubble just keep blowing up indefinitely. Eventually, a bubble will burst, and I think I think it'll happen because it it by just naturally it'll happen. But you got to think that if we're twenty plus movies further down, we have brand new fans who will not be tired of it. And we'll say, oh, I can't wait to see this movie. And, you know, maybe we'll be tired of it, but maybe the generation behind us will be like, you know, oh, I can't wait to see, you know, Captain Marvel five, you know, so it's like, who who knows? Um, I I think that's what they're betting on for sure. Like new fans. Yeah. And that's one of those ways the
0: image would benefit, though, is that they could still carry on with this great material. And yeah, it's from a comic book, but it's not necessarily superhero stuff.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a really great point. You you could have your comic stories, but you don't have to have superhero stories. Yep.
0: Yeah, and comics have always just felt like a no-brainer to me. The, okay, if it did good in sales as a comic book, do it. You've got a story that has proven to be successful, and look, it's already storyboarded out for you. Yeah, that's right. That's what I
1: was about to say. It's like, it's already, <laughs> you already got your frames. You're ready to go.
2: <laughs> and, and, you know, I think a lot of the stigma that used to come with like being like a comic book fan Um, you know, there was always that stigma of like, you know, you live in your mom's basement and you're like a mouth breather and, 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 you know, all you do is read these comics all day. And um, I think that stereotype is, is really fading away. And, you know, I, I think back to when I was, uh, when I was young, the, the the message that was sent to me and to many young girls my age was that comics were not for girls. Comics were for boys. And so I was discouraged from reading comics. I was discouraged from um, watching TV shows like Transformers and G.I. Joe because that was – no, no, that's for boys. Um I think now the pendulum has swung differently and there are a lot of women and girls who are reading comics and they're reading them without that fear of being told it's not for you. Um, and I love that. I really do because I got into comics as an adult for that reason was I had been told so often that it wasn't for me. You know, when you're young, you believe that, right? You swallow that and you say, Oh, it's not for girls. Oh, okay. But then as an adult, you go, well, well, fuck that. If I want to read it, I'll <laughs> read it, you know. But you, you have to learn that through maturity. So when I see younger girls, 8, 9, 10 years old, reading comics, like openly reading them and enjoying them, it just it makes me feel so happy. Because these are the girls who are going to go, you know, and see Wonder Woman 6. And they're going to go and see you know, uh, captain Marvel, whatever. It, it, and, and they're gonna, and they're going to know the storylines. And, and that just makes me really happy.
0: Yeah, totally agreed. Um, it's just open things up like that to, to such a wider audience and making it more acceptable. And, you know, especially throwing off silly ass chains of freaking, I mean, that, that really is, that's just sexism. And, I, mean, God. It, it, I would have thought that by 2018, we would have been more past that than we are. And I'm happy with the strides we're seeing at least.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's not perfect, but uh, it's better than it was. <laughs> That's for sure. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not so rare anymore to see women and girls at comic cons. Um, you know, there, there was a time you would go to a con and there, when you could count on one hand how many women you saw that were there, like in costume, or that they that they're into it, and they weren't just being and they weren't just there. Um, or you, it's it's changed a lot, and you see, like, so when I went to New York Comic Con last year, I went in my Wonder Woman costume that I had for C two E two last year, also, um, and it was a lot of fun. I love wearing that costume. I got. I saw so many girls wearing a Wonder Woman costume. I saw boys wearing Wonder Woman costumes. I saw grown <laughs> I saw a grown man who made his own Wonder Woman costume, and let me tell you something, he was rocking it. I mean, homeboy <laughs> was rocking that costume because he identified with that character and but it's it's nice for me now to see girls and and women being able to step out of the shadows and say, "Hey, I've been into this all along too. I, I enjoy all this stuff as well. Um, it's just super nice. It's it's just great."
0: Yeah, my kids talk about how a lot of a lot of their classmates in school and elementary school all read comics, oh, like cool. not necessarily like the books, but or you know, like the like the, the type that we're reading. But like, you know, they're reading not. like little kid comics. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I I meant more like Marvel, DC. <laughs> like Instead obviously not. Everyone says we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious.
2: <laughs> Which little Billy? Oh, just saga. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I mean, that's just that's cool to me because like they'll they'll tell me that I'm like so lots of kids in school read this and they're like oh they all do I'm like that's. That makes me happy for the future. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> um yeah, we could probably get, get around to wrapping it up now. If you guys got any other
2: final thoughts or anything. Oh no, dude. I could talk about this for like, you know, the next ten hours if you let me. You <laughs> better cut <find laughs> me down. <laughs> cut
0: me off. Last call. <laughs> Oh, this has been a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And, and, like, I enjoyed this discussion at the end. I didn't see it coming. That was really cool. Right, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, it is StarCast, so, you know, we had to finish on a completely different conversation.
0: <laughs> that is, like, really good stuff. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rod, I'm, finally, I'm glad we finally got this done. We finally talked Nemesis. Uh,
1: yeah, it was I a ride, know, man. Weird. I know, like, I'm reading, I was like after after we both read it we both agree we're like yeah we need to talk about this (laughs) at some point we just got to talk about it
0: yes absolutely and rebecca thank you so much for jumping on on the fly like that and and reading the book on short notice and this was awesome
2: yeah this was a lot of fun as always thanks for having me
0: awesome um do you want to plug into your podcast while while you got the moment
2: uh yeah sure uh animated backcast uh, it's an episode by episode review of the 1990s Batman the animated series. We just did a double episode where we reviewed, uh, the episode prophecy of doom and the movie Gotham by Gaslight. Check that out. Should be up in the next day or two. Uh, you can hear me on ladies of the leftover army, which is a woman centric podcast about women in film and TV, et cetera. Uh, Runaways TV talk. If you watched Marvel's Runaways, you can hear me and Brian from Pop Culture Leftovers break down every episode. It's only ten episodes, so you could catch up real quick on Hulu and then listen to me and Brian. And then um, the all three of us will be on a new one in March. So I'll I'll let one you guys talk about that one. <laughs> Rod, <laughs> you want to talk about that one?
1: Yeah, so number one comics, uh, we'll just be reviewing um, first issue comics that are coming out like starting in March and going forward and just kind of giving our recommendations on if we think you should pick this up or you can continue reading the title or if you shouldn't.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. That'll be, yeah. that'll be all three of us along with Brian from PCL. And it, it sounds like we'll be doing just one book each for uh, episodes, right? Yeah, so, so just,
1: basically doing like four issues per episode every couple of weeks, right? Yep.
0: Every yeah.
2: Week. I, yep. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think that's going to be really good because it's not like too much of a financial commitment, uh, and it's not too much of a time commitment. Because if, I mean, let, let let's be honest, we could be on here for hours talking about all the new books that are coming out. So, <laughs> it's it's nice yeah. just to it's nice just to like pick a book each and then talk about it. I think that's that's really great
0: yeah yeah because jordan and i tried that with the comic cast and we got buried (laughs) yeah
2: it's it's a lot it's a lot to talk about like there's a lot of content out there
0: it is it's easier it's very easy to bite off a way more than you intend to right going to like 50 issues (laughs) that's crazy it started feeling like real work. We both agreed on
1: that. <laughs> yeah. So you have like a second job.
0: <laughs> but, um, oh, number one comic books, that's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And, oh, I can't um,
2: wait. can't wait to talk about that stuff with you guys. Yeah,
0: and just based off the conversation that the three of us had tonight, like, it'll be a riot with Brian involved. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> yeah, it should be pretty good. <laughs> I imagine
0: the rabbit holes we could take it down. Oh, right. boy. <laughs> <How that goes>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that should be coming up in around mid-march and uh you'll definitely be be hearing about it on on you know i'll bring it up more on this show i'm sure rebecca will bring it up on hers as well so you, um you know as listeners you will be made aware
2: <laughs> whether you want to or not you're gonna Pretty know much. about the podcast oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well
0: once again thank you both very much for For coming on, this was rad. this was so much fun. And uh, thank you all for listening. Until next time, this has been Startcast. If you have any questions or comments on what you just heard, you can email me at startcastpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at the Tubby Ninja or you can check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash startcastpod. Thank you very much for listening. Hey, I'd like to take a moment to ask you all a big favor. If you enjoy listening to StarCast, please log on to iTunes and leave me a review. It uh, really helps with visibility for the show, and um, I would super appreciate it. If you're not a fan and you want to be honest and tell me how much my show sucks, go ahead and leave me a review of those too.